Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I'm doing this, and you know, this is the kind of thing that's been like a long time in in in, in the making. But uh, welcome to the very first episode of the Harrison 101 podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode one. Well, I like to call it episode one because who cares about pirates? Hello, everybody. I am your friendly neighbourhood Harrison 101. Call me as Andre Harrison. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 5 of the Motorsport 101 podcast with your host, Andre Harrison. Hey, guys. Harrison, well, I'm back at it once again with a brand new podcast for you. And welcome back to Motorsport 101. I've already lost count of how many episodes we've done by now. Hey, guys. Andre Harrison back at it once again with episode 20. Guaranteed to be more of a disappointment than Star Wars The Force Awakens. We're back! Guaranteed to have at least slightly better audio quality than the first 25 episodes. Welcome to episode 50 of Motorsport 101. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your friendly neighbour, that's Mr. Andre Harrison, and welcome to the 50th episode of Motorsport 101 and woo! like yeah woo! yeah yeah it's uh oh, can you just leave me there <laughs> yeah yeah King's just like I don't clap for no one bitch <laughs> <laughs> King King you is, have done 50 episodes motherfucker King is clearly above clapping that, that's that's fine even though he's like the get to 100 then we'll talk on the show but uh you know we'll we'll, we'll, we'll forgive that one <laughs> but, um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm Andre Harrison. Welcome to episode 50 of Motorsport 101. And, uh, my God, like, I, <laughs> I, this was originally only ever meant to be a 10 episode run. I'd, I'd have just put this to one side and just called it a chapter in the history of Andre Harrison on the internet. But, uh, and then you were going to go back to making F1 2015 videos. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not even go there. But, um, 40 episodes later, we are here, episode 50, live on YouTube for the very first time, a live podcast recording as my bedroom door has just opened as my sister has come and given me a drink. Hey, that's actually very convenient timing of you. Thank you, Kendra. That's much appreciated, see? This guy's yes. Come on. As you, can see, really, as you can see, you're a really professional outfit on it. Kendra, shut the door. <laughs> like, properly. This guy's aging. <laughs> But, uh, how is your how is your record breaking sister doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, she did she run upstairs the... really fast to get you that? She, she's still re- she's still really gutted. She's not made the Olympic team, but besides that, she's doing great. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but obviously, thanks to Adam and, and King for showing up for this one. As this took a lot of ironing out. Sorry, we ended up being about twenty five minutes late in the end. That's kind of my own fault. I didn't realise like, I actually set up the Google Hangout the wrong way around. That's my own incompetence. I, I own that. <laughs> I, I, he I can't apologize. try and kill me this time. It wasn't my fault. No, no, it wasn't. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's actually a thing. <laughs> I like that, that Matt just tweeted me as well saying, speak English like a proper Englishman, mate. Um, <laughs> Bro. It's not possible with me. I, it it, it just can't happen. But uh, <laughs> we are live on YouTube. Thanks to everybody in the chat that, that you know, oh, we've had to wait nearly half an hour for this to actually Sorry, can get I just started. Say, can I just say, oh, I understand the context of Skellington's tweet now. If you Why? see the reply to it, for some reason, it's tweeted out the link oh, to the live Spanish. stream on your thing in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I just noticed that now. I was like, oh, for, 
everything is going to go wrong. I can tell already. But um, this is like Radio yeah. Le Mans doing the news in Spanish. <laughs> I don't understand. But uh, can I can I get to my intro now, Johnson? Is that okay? Yes, you may. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So, uh, again, thanks to everybody in the chat that's come out. I've had to wait the better part of half an hour for this to, to go on. We, I, we do really appreciate your patience on this one. It was my own fault that caused this in the first place. So it's only fair I take the blame and apologize on this one. But thank you, everybody, for coming. I hope you guys enjoy the next well, probably two hours or so. Um, we'll be talking all about the Hungarian Grand Prix and a bunch of, like, for what was such a shit Grand Prix, that was actually quite a lot to actually take away from the weekend. Lewis Hamilton now leads the championship with his 48th Grand Prix win. He's now the all-time Hungarian Grand Prix uh, record holder for number of wins. It was his fifth Grand Prix win. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about the double wave, the other that wasn't with Nico Rosberg. Verstappen versus Raikkonen, round 24. Um, Jensen Button and the new radio rules um, immediately coming into effect and everybody taking an enormous dump on it from a great height. Um, we'll be talking about the sheer pettiness of Lewis Hamilton versus Esteban Gutierrez and oh we'll be talking more about that as well and basically the nerdy slap fight of Formula 1 this year the, yeah it's been the nerdy slap fight of Formula 1 it's, like, it, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's petty it's petty it's, it's two fat kids in school fighting over the last cotton of Capri Sun it's, it's, it's that <laughs> kind of bad quite frankly and um, we'll be talking about that we'll be talking about Salba and the fact they have new investors but they'll still be the same old incompetent team as oh, Andrew is here to listen to that oh god um, <laughs> I hope he's not here. Um, in the meantime, we'll be talking about that Salba's new investment. We'll be having a live Q and A with you guys, the listeners out there. Um, you can send in your questions. We'll answer them for about 20, 30 minutes or so. We'll be talking about some of our favourite moments from Motorsport 101 so far, and we'll be talking about the Robot Wars reboot because Johnson has friggin' begged and pleaded for us to talk about Robot Wars being back on TV. Don't lie, you wanted to as well. It was in the Top Gear slot. We talked enough about shit new Top Gear. Let's talk about a good new show. Yes, that is kind of also true. So we'll be talking about that, and we'll be talking. About, also, we'll be, at the end of the show, we'll, we'll be revealing who won the Motorsport 101 Fantasy Draft. So yeah, like if, if you're wondering why you haven't heard from me yet, it's because I'm busy calculating the results because it's that damn close. There's like yes. smoke coming out his ears right now. You can't see it in the headphones. It's like steam coming out his ears right now. It is glorious. It is glorious indeed, and we'll get to that. Oh, he's looking smug already, isn't he? We'll we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the show. But (laughs) let's open up this 50th edition of Motorsport 101 by talking about how terrible the Hungarian Grand Prix was. Just what we all wanted, right? After two years of excellent, excellent Hungarian Grand Prix, Johnson, I think it's fair to say this one kind of shit the bed. Mm, We were due a bad one, weren't we? This uh, This was basically like... Uh, the Grand Prix that kind of brought everyone back down to earth after what's been a, a rather good season by modern Formula One standards. This has been a good one so far. And it kind of, yeah, this was uh, basically what made, me, what made me kind of laugh about this one is um, this was just after we'd have this big debate about, oh, Imola might be coming back. Wait, Imola sucks. It's going to be crap for Formula One. You can't pass there. It'd be dirty air all over the place. And it's like, hmm. Well, it's not like we don't get that problem at tracks already on the calendar. Exhibit A, Hungary. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and just being proof, really. It was, yeah, this was not good. This was like, and I think the last two years of Hungarian Grand Prix have been great in spite of the track. Let's be yes. honest. They've been great because of incidents and things going on, uh, all sorts of stuff happening. And, you know, it's been 
you know, great in spite of that. This year, well, there wasn't any incident, and so therefore it came down to the track to produce a good race, and it didn't. <laughs> it, I mean, so, there, was already, there, there was already complaints going into this Grand Prix about the resurfacing of the entire track, and you know, Sebastian Vettel was one of the louder complainers, saying that it's it's taken all the character out of the track. All the bumps had gone because of all the resurfacing, and you know, the the, the new surface that was on that was on the track. You could see it; it was obvious. It was a brand new um, surface and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a you know there wasn't a much hype going into this there was a lot of teasing that Red Bull might have been able to mount a challenge for Mercedes given they have been pretty strong around here qualifying well qualifying they didn't really get close enough but hey they didn't really get a last hot lap run either because King your boy <laughs> tell me about your boy <laughs> taking some liberties <laughs> what there was an apparent incident in sector 3 double yellows came out and people believe that Nico did not slow down because he set up purple sector in in that in that double waved yellow sector and it was under investigation and he was not penalized yeah it was a very interesting moment now <laughs> I, I can't lie like twitter was kind of set ablaze of the hot takes after this because you know oh Rosberg did this up in the double wave yellows can't do that you can't do that and you know just the usual Twitter mass nuclear explosion that goes down when anything interesting regarding Nico Rosberg <laughs> happens um, in Formula 1 these days because if it's Nico Rosberg we find a way to make it sound like it was some other means that, that got him there apart from his own ability like yesterday but um, it's one of those situations where you know it's, it's hard for me King because it's like we, you know, we we know the the, the rule of double wave yellows. We know it, it means slow down and be prepared to stop. And we, you know, we still are a little bit tetchy when it comes to vehicles on track. And the last time we debated this, it was the week after somebody had died. And there's no easy way of talking about it. But let's be real here. It's kind of a weird rule because there's been no real precedent for it, in at least in my opinion, and that. It's also kind of awkward because, like, there's like there's no specific rule of saying how much you have to slow down in a double wave yellow zone for it to still count. Like, is like, am I getting the right end of the stick here? Because it just seems like there's no real precedent for something like this. No, because the rule is slow down and be prepared to stop, but no one has specifically designed, I mean, no one has specifically specified what slow down and prepare to stop means. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, the, that's the, like, like how much. It's like the, the comparison I drew to um, was Moto3. Uh, Moto3 had, has had issues like this similarly before in qualifying sessions. It's not quite the same context. Not, it's not quite double wave yellows, but they had a rule about diddy-dallying on the racing line during qualifying sessions. If anyone's seen a Moto3 qualifying session, they're absolutely carnage. Like There's, there's like 15, 20 bikes in, in like one string of track all trying to jostle for position. Some are on a hot lap, some are not. Some are trying to look for a toe, some are not. And They've had to keep, you know, adapting this rule to a point where, you know, if you're now going, I think within 110% of your of your fastest lap time on a sector, um, if you're slower than that on a sector and you're not on a hot lap, you will now be given a free place grid penalty. Um, and that's people have been caught out by this rule many times this season already. I mean, King, I think we may need something like this down the road now because, 
It's another one of those can of worms rules where you thought, well, this rule's never going to come into effect, right? And now it actually kind of has. And, like, we kind of need a solution to stop this from happening again, right? Uh, I, I think I think we saw this uh, across the whole weekend as as a whole where people are not comfortable with the the method f1 is officiated where it's hmm. it's mainly down to stewards discretion and people don't like it being discretionary people like they're being a black and white line and saying if you violate the rule you've broken the rule this is exactly what penalty you'll get when motorsport doesn't can't really operate like american football or like it, it can't operate like that because yeah. then you'd also get a scenario where as soon as there is a call that is not quite black and white, people go, well, no, it shouldn't be a case of just an automatic penalty for that because there should be discretion. There should be a bit yes. of a choice in there. But it's kind of, where's the line in the middle? Do you make it hard and fast? Or do you go, now, nah, there's some wiggle room on this one, which then yeah. makes people go, well, we don't know what the decision's going to be. Raced. Like, NASCAR has literally gone for the complete, like almost laissez-faire approach of, like, we are literally only going to deal with this when an incident comes up and we're going to treat every incident on its own merits fair enough but it also means that you've got people going so where exactly are the boundaries where exactly is the is the line and they sort of go we don't know keep pushing yeah. and we'll tell you where the line is do you know what i mean <laughs> yes exactly and i mean i mean I'm, I'm gonna refer to the chat quite a lot during the show jake petrick quite rightly saying the issue is because the rule is subjective vague and open to interpretation kind yeah. of the opposite to what rules should be but yeah it's one of those situations where i think you i think you have to have a little bit of leeway as well to look at things on a case-by-case -case basis because this was kind of a freak circumstance you've never seen this before in f1 where you know, there's double waved yellows in the middle of a qualifying session as opposed to a red flag where, you know, end of session, everyone back to the pits. You know, no one like, okay, it says slow down, be prepared to stop. But one, we're in a sport where every driver will take liberties, yep. as we've seen in the past. And also we're in a sport where there is no hard and fast rule about how much you're allowed to slow down by. So, of course... Rosberg kind of bypassed a rule that doesn't really exist. <laughs> and, you know, like, if, if Rosberg had gone through that section of full racing speed, you still couldn't punish him because, you know, how much are you allowed to slow down by? It's 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 a loophole, essentially, in a rule that, you know, I, don't, I think the FAA probably thought would never, ever actually be broken. Um, mm. So they kind of just had to you know let this one slide you can't retrospectively punish somebody for something like that when there's no rule to punish him with because he didn't break a rule he technically did lift through that section he, he just it just still happened to be the fastest one of the session it's just one of those things it's not a great look to have a purple sector there where where you know he's, he's, he's in a yellow flag zone but you know technically he did lift we just don't know how much um also shout out to danny brennan that says uh nascar mentioned drink in there as well uh Hush up, lot, um complimented as ever but uh you know like, of course people are going to go crazy over something like this <clears throat> hamilton fans <clears throat> but uh, so there's also one of those situations where you know the fi need nothing i think the fi need to take another look at this and if, if this case happens again i think they have to have some kind of maybe stricter infringements in there or something along those lines that will make it a little bit more clear what the matter is but enough dilly-dallying about this let's talk about the race itself which let's be honest here king it ended at turn one really didn't it yeah that was like turn turn one and turn two were like legitimately the only really attacks on the lead 
in the entire Grand Prix. And basically after that, it was, was anyone going to make a mistake? And literally only one person made a mistake the whole race, Jolyn Palmer. And besides that, everyone had a fairly perfect outing. Apart from Jensen Button, but we'll get to that in a oh, minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, for me, from from watching, like I said, I said it on Twitter and I said it on Snapchat at the time as well. Um, I gave it, I gave the race a three point five out of ten, which is the lowest score I think I've ever given to a race since I started Charitable. covering. So I started covering Formula One seriously. That was the lowest score I think I've ever given, um, which just kind of says it all about the quality of that race. It was it was like I call, on Twitter I called it a cock tease because it felt like yes. The car, Just like, when things were getting interesting, it died away again. Yeah, and like Adrian Newey, I think, summed it up best after the Grand Prix for Red Bull because it was it was weird in the sense that the cars were actually relatively close together. <laughs> they were only about two or three seconds apart for the majority of the Grand Prix, but Red Bull never really looked like it could mount a challenge. Partly because of dirty air, partly because of just lack of overall race place. And it's it was kind of like Barcelona all over again. But of course, Barcelona had the intrigue of the Mercs taking each other out. There was at least different strategies going on. The holy anointed savior of all motorsport won his first Grand Prix. So there was intrigue there. But if you remember watching most of that race, it well, I mean, Raikkonen was stuck behind Verstappen, unable to get by it. We saw that again. Mm. But it's the same sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like a closed Grand Prix, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? This is going to be really tense. And But then as soon as Raikkonen got up behind Verstappen near the end, it was like 15 laps to go. You were like, Raikkonen's not getting past him. Calm down. Like, they're going to be really close together, but he's not getting past him. And and this was kind of it. Like, the, a race didn't ever quite break out. No. It was it was a lot of, um, I like to call it creative following. Um, this is the best way I could possibly describe something like that. Um, King, I want to talk to you about something here real quick. Um, a lot of people were making, you know, I, I don't want to say conspiracy theories about this, but I think there is a legitimate case to be made about this one, King, but... Do you feel like Mercs were were playing possum with Red Bull during that race? Because the way it played out and the way that Adrian Newey described the post-race where, you know, they were running a, and I quote, deliberately slow pace. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a weird term to use in the context of F1, but I mean, is was there something to that in, in sense of, you know, Mercs may have maybe played possum with Red Bull a little bit during that race? Uh, I'd say... They were deliberately slow, but it wasn't to mess with Red Bull. I, I feel like they felt like they had a secure lead, and they knew down the line that uh, engine penalties were going to be a thing for at least Lewis Hamilton, mm. and you might as well save as much of the power unit as you can. There's no reason to, to push your power unit harder when you don't have to. Yeah, it's true, and, and, and I said this on Twitter this morning there's an element of this like it, it wouldn't surprise me if Merckx pulled something like this one it's the nature of F1 you really ideally want to take as little risks as possible and if they're comfortable with a four second lead over over Daniel Ricardo, knowing that Ricardo, it's not really they, I think they've obviously seen that Ricardo's lap times in the fort well if Ricardo was really that close he'd have gotten closer to us by now so we can just keep it at this level pace we don't need to challenge him and two they already pulled this stunt back in China last season. That was the comparison I made, where Hamilton was going so slowly, he didn't need to push himself, but inadvertently had given Vettel like the running room to get close to him during that second stint of the race, and they basically left the one too open for the undercut, which is why they told Hamilton to speed up in the middle of that stint because they didn't want to, they didn't want Vettel to potentially take the one two away. 
and have him potentially maybe pull off an undercut. And then obviously Merckx just went shot off into the distance in the last stint of the race on the hard tyre. Um, but same thing kind of happened here, really, where the second stint had gone by. Ricardo tried an undercut, and Merckx were like, oh, he's, he's, he's gone into the pits. No biggie. <laughs> we're just, just going to keep Bless. running. He tried. It's like, it's like Hamilton, open it up a bit. And next thing you know, <laughs> they're setting identical lap times again. Ricardo's undercut looks really silly. Yeah, and next thing you know, they've opened up a can and the Mercs end up finishing 27 seconds ahead of Ricardo in third in the space of, what, 25, 26 lap final stint? It's, it's, Mercs were playing possum the whole time. You almost feel like Daniel Ricardo got out and went over to the Mercs on the podium and was like, dude, I almost had you. <laughs> That's what you, you never think. had me. <laughs> you don't know me. You never had me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You don't know my struggle. <laughs> it was basically long and short of it. And uh, that was basically the story of the Grand Prix, really. There was no other real threat out there. I mean, Kimi Raikkonen, I think, you know, we, we, we may have seen this morning, Kimi Raikkonen, one driver of the day, and I think quite rightly so. Um, a very... whoa, 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 hang on. Yeah? Max Verstappen didn't win driver of the day. Yes, Max Verstappen did not win driver of the day. Why did, why did I write this board? <laughs> but, um, but no, I'm just checking. There's, I mean, there's no cats going past my window right now. No, there's no flying pigs. It's not raining. It's not raining dogs. No, Verstappen for, for the, only the second time in the last five races did not win driver of the day. It went to Kimi Räikkönen for starting from 13th on the grid and finishing in a pretty respectable sixth place, given that passing round Hungary is semi-impossible. Um, so you know. It, we all know again the most probably the most captivating on track highlight of the Grand Prix besides Palmer's spin from tenth was um, Verstappen and Raikkonen's um, little act, um, little feud again. I was like, the twenty fourth time Verstappen and Raikkonen's fought it out on track over the course of the season. And King, I may have theory may have gone too far on this one. I feel like in some of his defensive driving. Oh. Yes, like I, I really want to say that there there's some kind of gray area, but really he was. I saw, I saw somebody on Twitter call him Max for blocking. <laughs> the, like, he throws up more blocks than Mark Marquez in Malaysia. Well, I think was the was, 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 was my brother was my brother used to describe. He was it, putting some so. linebacker moves, wasn't he, out there? Yeah, it was it was very old school defensive driving for Max. It's like it's like he'd been watching like the 1979 French Grand Prix. Something. I thought I want a piece of this life, and <laughs> it was. A lot of, I mean, there was a little bit of contact in there. Nothing major. It didn't affect Raikkonen's car too much. There was a bit of contact going into turn two on during the last stages of that fight. But Raikkonen, as tries he might, did could not find a way through. And me personally, I'm of the opinion that Verstappen was very dirty in how he behaved. And so there, there's two obvious rules out here for racecraft that we're meant to adhere to. One is you don't you don't veer directions quickly in a braking zone. You commit to that line if, if, you, if you're going into the braking zone. And well, two, I mean, just on that point, Dre, mm. just on that point, I remember distinctly back in 2013, uh, I want to say it was Sergio Perez uh, got penalised a drive-through penalty for it for, I think it was at Spa, and it was at the at the end of the Kemmel Strait into that chicane there. I can't remember the name of the, the chicane up the top there. It was at the end of the Kemmel Strait. He was side-by-side side with Grosjean. He fainted left in the braking zone, swerving towards uh, Grosjean's mm. car. Grosjean got spooked, went across the, the off, uh, ran off the track, mm. and uh, Perez got done a, a, a drive-through penalty for that. And that was one movement in the braking area towards yeah. Grosjean's car. So 
that's drive-through worthy. I mean, I know you know, maybe they've they've relaxed the rules a little bit since then. I don't know, but again, grey area. Like, yeah, exactly. And are we at one extreme to another now? Because there were a yeah. few. T- I mean, especially the blocky through at turn one later yeah. on. That was so close to being a Mark Webber of Valencia 2010 all over again. Was it 2010? Yeah, there was there was a bunch of double moves as well. I mean, I mean, you're allowed one reactionary change of direction trying to defend the passing attempts. You're allowed one move. That's always been like, like like as long as I can remember. That's always been the rule now in F1 in terms of racecraft. You're allowed one yep. move. Verstappen was double moving uh, um, multiple times and including you double moved into turn two across the braking zone when Raikkonen clipped his front wing on the back of Verstappen's car. And again, Verstappen was very lucky not to have had a puncture because of that accident. And, and mm. you know, both cars were able to continue relatively, you know, obviously relatively scot-free. But, like, Verstappen, I think, has taken this too far. Like, I, I, I totally understand the appeal of a guy like Max. And, like, and you know... Uh, can I just say on that point, uh, mm. sorry, I know the point you're about to make, and Shy Guy 306 in the chat has got a very good point. He said if it was Maldonado in that car blocking that late, we'd be calling for drive-throughs. Yes, yeah. without question. And but it's Verstappen, so that's just what he does, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of this is down to the reputation of, of Max Verstappen and a guy that I think people want to root for, as opposed to Maldonado, who was a guy mm. we couldn't wait to go against. Yeah. Um, we, 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 I we, mean, people we, turned on Perez for, and called him reckless. People turned on Grosjean. But yeah. there is such a massive wave of goodwill behind Max Verstappen, isn't there, for his age, yeah. his aggression, his, his personality. But... I mean, he's got to be—he's got to be held responsible to the same levels as every other driver, isn't it? We, yeah. we'd, we'd be saying the same thing if this was any other driver. Let's be honest. You'd be saying the same if Sebastian Vettel was pulling these moves. I'd be saying the same if it was Perez or Hulkenberg. King would probably say the same if it was Rob, Rosberg. Although, if it won in the race, he'd just be like, ah, "Yes, we're in the championship lead." <laughs> Sorry, King, I couldn't resist. Unless, but... unless, it, unless it's Austria at turn two, it's no big deal. <laughs> 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 see, see, you saw that face, gentlemen. You, like you all saw that face. There's a face of I'm not, I'm not going to admit shit to you right now. Right? <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think a lot of it is down to reputation and perception of drivers and Verstappen. Of course, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of positive feelings about Verstappen, and rightly so. He's been excellent this season, without any question. He's been he's been superb since joining Red Bull, but. He's not above the law. He's not above standards here. And like I feel like he took it way too far in Hungary. Double moving across across straights and weaving, which is just not allowed. And you know, sharply you know, turning in and breaking zones is just not acceptable. And, you know, Verstappen will use, will probably respond to Raikkonen's comments later this week and just say, Oh well, you know, it's, it's racing, man. You know, or, or some other flippant remark to just dismiss it. <laughs> Uh, you know, oh, it's just racing, man. You know, and, uh, you know, this is racing, man. It's like the biggest cop-out answer to anything when it comes <laughs> to driver standards. And, you know, Kimi Raikkonen very rightly said in the post-race press conference afterwards with um, Sky Sports TV, um, you know, he said that he's seen other drivers punished for less than what Verstappen did yesterday. Yeah. I think that's a very... Perez example from 2013, that was one movement in the braking area. Yeah, I mean, we seen. I mean, we made Kevin Magnussen a real scapegoat for that a couple of years ago when he, oh, you yeah. know, when he ran Bottas over at, at Monza, and then when he did the same, he ran Alonso onto the grass at Spa the previous weekend, um, and you know, Magnussen got another penalty just in Austria two rounds ago by you know running. I think it was Pascal Wehrlein onto the grass on, on the run down towards turn two. So, you know, the stewards 
you know, again, it's steward inconsistencies again because it's just, it's different stewards every round, and you know, I would I wish there was more transparency where that's concerned. I mean, Verstappen wasn't even investigated for any of those incidents, let alone punished, and. I think, like, like, what is the point of these rules if you're not going to enforce them? And as Sebastian Vettel said today in talking to the media, he said that, you know, it makes the sport look bad when you have drivers doing things like this where they, when you, and you have these rules to stop these incidents, but yet the sport just sits on its hands. It's not a good look. Mm. I mean, wouldn't you say, King? Yeah, it, it, it's not good when, when you have an incident where literally every, where the vast majority of people in public, like, public forums where you know laugh on subreddit or twitter say that this should be an incident that should be investigated and nothing is done about it yeah no, nothing pisses off formula one fans on the internet more because then they'll start breaking out the streamable videos they'll put them on twitter they'll have like out of context screenshots to say well at this point you know rosberg was turning into rosberg into hamilton's rear tire in spain if there should be a penalty it was all his fault etc i mean out of context gifts for the win. <laughs> Everyone loves a good out of context screenshot. It's like the biggest like original sin you get in the F1 community these days, except for casual racism, maybe. But uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you, 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 I think Verstappen just got away with got away with a big one on that one, and it's unfortunate that he seems to be above the rules because hey, he's entertaining. When you know, there's a lot of entertaining drivers out there that you know it doesn't mean you can bypass the rules. But hey. Speaking of bypassing the rules, let's talk about Jensen Button's unfortunate Sunday. And, oh Christ! Uh, now I don't quite know. This is like this is like you know Formula One rules can get petty already and can get a bit silly. Uh-huh. We're about to hit a whole new level of stupid. This is like Defcon, Defcon doofus in <laughs> Formula One petty rule levels, isn't yeah, it? This is this, this this didn't look good. This didn't. Look this good is basically the why the fuck have we still got car radios edition? Yeah, it was okay. So I wasn't a hundred percent aware of all this because I was in the middle of a Skype call when this when the race was going on, and they can be rather chaotic in the first two or three laps. But feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, gentlemen. Jensen Button had, I think, some kind of hydraulic problem, and. It, he was. I think he was told on the rate. Like he, he, he told the team on the radio what had happened. The team had issued an instruction to try and deal with the problem. I don't think Button served. Button went into the pits to change tyres, and I think a lap or two afterwards, he was given a a drive-through penalty for illegal radio instructions. Is that the long and the short of it? Have I got something wrong there? I think. <laughs> I love the fact that you're just like, I must have got something wrong. That can't be it. Yeah, it's like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm missing some context here somewhere, but like, it really can't be it, can it? <laughs> can it? <laughs> like, is that the long and the short of it, King? <laughs> yes, that, that is the long and the short of it. <laughs> that is actually the long and short of it. Now, for those guys that have not heard the news, earlier in the week, the FIA had announced they, they were adapting the already radio rule that got exposed when Nico Rosberg um, was told to avoid seventh gear at the end of the British Grand Prix and was given a retrospective 10-second time penalty, which demoted him to third place. Now, they extended the rule to say that if you're reporting that a car's got a problem and you offer an instruction to avoid the problem, you have to go, you have to go through the pits at least once. Now... Um, logically, sure, it makes sense. If, if you've got a problem, deal with it in the pits. And, you know, 
it's it makes sense for safety reasons you know get the car off the track if it's going to cause a problem if it's something that you know you can still run but it could potentially be fixed or avoided you can run through the pits instead the problem here king is that at least in my opinion it seems like they were polishing a turd in the first place because this rule was still a thing they were, they were just yeah. they were just making it a slightly better version of a still shit rule yeah, and it's uh, the the engineers basically completely botched this, where they where they told Jensen not to shift, which means he had to go down pit lane. But then they told him not to box the car, meaning telling him to stay out and violate the rule. Yeah, because he was still on track, and yeah, you know, they they didn't run him through the pits to try and fix that problem because he was able to continue, as we saw later on in the Grand Prix. So. Again, the FLI seemed to handcuff itself here, and yeah, as, as a result, we got the mess that was Jensen's button and a lot of angry fans on the internet. And quite rightly so, because, I mean, it was kind of embarrassing to watch that actually happen, um, to see Button, you know, struggling with an issue, then being told, I've oh, got to run through the pits again because we violated the radio rule. And I, I, I completely agree with you guys in the chat. I know, like, Andy Graham has said it, and, you know, like, Evan has said it. Um, hi, Andrew DeBlay, by the way. Nice to see you. Um, and, you know, if you, if you guys, I completely agree. I think it's a shit rule, and I think it's it, it, it serves next to no purpose, in my opinion. I think it's, an, it's a placebo um, for fan happiness in F1 to not have their sport look in a certain way. But, I mean, King, I have to wonder if this is now going to be a thing what is the point of team radio and what is the point of publishing team radio broadcasts if we're not going to get any meaningful information come out and now if there is a problem the team can't can't say what it is now unless they have to run their guy through the pits it just seems uh like they wouldn't have been penalized if if he came down pit lane if they told him he couldn't shift and then immediately he came down pit lane the the issue was that they told him not to box and he didn't go down pit lane <sighs> so basically the time out time out time out basically if you tell your driver that there's something wrong with the car and how to fix it you have to take the stop go penalty yourself yes yes you have to voluntarily go down pit lane <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you gavel bashing time. He to continue. So why? Yes. Why are you punishing him twice? Like, 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 this is like double jeopardy. This is like the rule that they've had in football for a while. Uh, I think they've just removed it. The idea of double jeopardy, where if um, uh, a foul either, goes down in the penalty area, you go down pit lane voluntarily, or we'll make you go. So why? Why would you not? Why would you just take your chances with the penalty? Again, like oh. the penalty, the penalty needs to be more severe. You have, I said that before. If you're gonna have this rule, disqualify the car. That's the only way it makes sense, and for teams not to exploit this loophole like we saw with Button, because as we saw, Button was able to continue, finish the race, and you know, despite the beam at the back, he was able to finish. So, what's the point in running him through the pits in the, in the end? And Scrap the whole rule. The whole rule is horseshit. Get this is an ultimate like Pandora's box rule, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. how on earth? Like as soon as Rosberg was penalised last week, it just opened an entire can of worms. Like this is not. This is the one of the stupidest rules. And like Formula One is is good at these sort of stupid rules. This is going to be one of the stupidest. Like, like um, it, it causes way more hassle than it's worth at this point. And for me. 
It's it was a uh, I said it on last week's show. I say it here again. I think it was just a bullshit fad to try and stop fans complaining about drivers being told on the radio to lift and coast and to save fuel everywhere. So they thought we're gonna make it more difficult for the drivers because the drivers need to be challenged and you know yada yada yada. Listen, they're driving Formula One cars at 230 miles an hour. That's challenging enough in my opinion. Yeah. And I there haven't. is no other series in the world that feels the need to limit radio communication to make it more difficult for the drivers. Like, NASCAR does not have an issue. Brennan, drink right now, my friend. Uh, NASCAR does not have a, a sort of pre- pre- perception of the guy. Like, we've seen fuel mileage races in NASCAR. We've seen fuel mileage races in IndyCar. We've seen... You need to ring up Kendra, get you another one. Um, yeah. we, we've seen... I mean, obviously, WEC, that's what it's all about, really. You know, like... Why is it only Formula One that people had beef with drivers seemingly being told to run to a strategy? Does, does no one understand that that's kind of been the nature of, of motorsport in its, since its inception? And why is it only Formula One that seemed to have this big issue with people going, oh, no, they've been told to save fuel or save tyres. That's really bad. We need to stop them doing that. Because we buy into our own narrative so much, we've bought we've bought into the story and the belief that F1 has to be the pinnacle. Therefore, it has to be made out to be as challenging. flat out, one hundred and ten percent every lap. Yeah, blah. flat out challenging. All when that- King, you are the historian on the team. Has it ever been like that? Uh, no, and it's <laughs> the fact that it's it's the fact that this is one of the FIA's many world championships. This is not the only world championship out yep. there. Nope. Exactly. And, and, as, and, and as Andrew DeBlade quite rightly says in the chat, like, let's address the elephant in the room here. Apparently your brake pedal going to the floor is not a safety issue. <laughs> I mean, do I, do I need to spell this out? So like, I, I go, I'll tell you a quick story, well, a side note. What next in Formula One? Oh, um, I, I, can, I can sense a burning smell out the back of my car. Yeah, um, uh, keep going, mate. You're fine. Uh, is there a fire going on back there? We can't tell you, mate. We're not allowed. Not allowed. Sorry. So you can't tell me that my car's on fire. Uh, no. no. That's like, I'll tell you a quick story, real quick. Like three months ago, that exact, the exact same problem happened to my mum's car, where the brake pedal had, had kind of welded hard to the floor, and it was on a dual carriageway. Oh. If anyone wants to tell me that's not a safety issue. Tell that to me who was bricking it when my mum found out her brake pedal was welded to the floor at 60 miles an hour. Ooh, and that was 60. Like, that's slow for Formula One cars. How? How is this a thing? But like I said, I'm, I'm in total agreement. Get rid of that fucking rule. It's, it's terrible. I do not buy into this narrative whatsoever. Let the drivers do their damn jobs. You know, I mean, I'm not saying... Oh, you know, get rid of car management. I'm not saying that at all. It's, it's always going to be a nature of a competitive sport like this one, and people running the numbers that are way smarter than we ever could be. But what I am saying is, is that this belief that we have to have our our, our drivers told certain messages over the radio is just fucking stupid to me, and it's just something to give. I think old school F1 fans are hard on while they watch their product thinking oh this driver's been really tested this time we can't tell him his brake's got a problem you know so it's 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 I, I don't buy it. I think it's really freaking stupid. So, yeah. yeah I'm, well, I'm, one one interesting story has just broken. Oh. One of the items on the agenda on this week's strategy group meeting in Geneva is that uh, the teams are discussing about completely revamping the rule book and simplifying the the rules in general over concerns that uh, over regulation is a turnoff for fans. 
Oh, really? Which it is. So <laughs> that's true. That. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, really? Well, let, let me get this straight. The strategy group actually agree with the fans on something. Wow. Well, that's twice, they, the, that's they, twice they, this year. <laughs> they want to do it because the fans are so pissed off and that it's been a running thing over the past couple of weeks, whether it be Nico Ross incident with the radio rules, the... Uh, the threat that the 107% rule would have been applied to this past qualifying <laughs> session. Just just the entire shit show that regulating the sport has become. Pretty yeah. much. And it's almost like, to me, it kind of reminds me of that saying from football where it, it, it's almost, or, you know, most kind of ball sports with a referee. It's like, uh, the general thing is, you know if the referee's had a good game if no one's talking about him. Yeah. It's almost like you know the rules are okay if no one's talking about them. Like even if they are applied, if even break if someone breaks the rule gets penalized, people just sort of go, "Yeah, that's fair enough." It's like speeding in the pit lane, something like that. You're like, "Yeah, that's that's fair enough. We can understand." But in yeah. this case, it, it, it's like the rules and the petty rules and the stories behind them and people trying to work out why the fuck they were given. That's like the biggest story. Like the biggest story coming out of this weekend is what Jensen Button said on his radio, which turned out to not be much at all. So yeah. that's not a good thing. Like, if you for the premier motorsport in the world, you want people to be talking about what actually happened on the track. Yeah, and we've barely spoken about that in this what <laughs> thirty-five minutes since we started the actual show. Nearly <laughs> forty minutes now since we started the show. But um, well, hang on, we're besties. <coughs> Pardon me. God bless you. Um, Thank you, Johnson. Um, but yeah, so Difference between live and work. edited. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is what we get on the show. This is live and raw. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's a situation where, again, the, the rules are a farce. And hey, the strategy group agreed with the fans twice in the same year. I think I'm going to church on Sunday. Um, it's, like, clearly, we're in the presence of a divine miracle. Um, but... <sighs> King, also, did you see... Well, before I move on to the reception, I want to cut something real quick to you about Nico Rosberg. Did you see Rachel Brooks' interview with Rosberg, Chris Bryce? Uh, no, I didn't watch Sky this weekend. Good, good man. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Channel 4 had it this weekend, so we watched that. Yeah, so uh, did, did you watch on Channel 4, King? You were on, on NBC, weren't you? Uh, NBC, yeah. I yeah. was watching on, on, on the fabulous broadcast that's set by Will Buxton on NBC. Isn't Bob Varsha on that as well? <laughs> uh, no, no. They had the, When they moved to NBC from Speed, they had the drop Varsha. Oh, that's a shame. He, he still yeah. has the most spectacular hair in motorsport broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, you see old tapes of like Champ Car from the 1990s. His combed hair is just. He could be standing out on top of like the sta main stand at Michigan Speedway in the 30 mile an hour winds, and it's just immaculate. <laughs> it's stop, astonishing. Stop, stop fanboying for two minutes. I want to talk to King about something. You didn't see Sky's coverage, and I didn't see it myself originally because I was watching on no, Channel I didn't Four. The superior broadcaster, but <laughs> I, was, I was watching. I was watching the Channel Four's coverage, and somebody sent me a video clip of Rachel Brooks interviewing Nico Rosberg. And did you want to hear the first question he asked Nico Rosberg? What was the first question? The first question she asked him was, "Did you feel like not going to the press conference because of the nature of how Hamilton beat you today?" Oh. What? Why? Why oh, would damn. you ask that? Like, no, no, number one, number one, they, they're required to go to the press conference. Otherwise, there's a steward's investigation, yeah. which usually ends in a fine. Yeah, yeah. they're like oblig obliged to do it. I mean, I think someone in um, Brandon, get ready. Someone in NASCAR recently did it. I, I want to say it was Kevin Harvick didn't go to a post-race press conference. And, 
and, and everyone is uh, everyone was like oh well he wasn't annoyed or anything he was just like well I ain't got much to say so I'm not going like was, was Rachel Brooks expecting him to just just lean into the microphone and just say I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if Nico had done that. Oh, my God. It's like I, I, ju- I was just waiting for the moment at the British Grand Prix where he's just going to pull a Will Power, just do a double bird off the podium. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'd so, have just I- become a Rosberg fan for life if he'd done that. Now, like I said, I don't want to completely pin this on Rachel Brooks because I, I know for a fact that like, Natalie Pinkham has told fans at the show this before that, you know, she's often fed lines by producers upstairs for yeah. Sky and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, They've I got their agenda. To- we know the narrative. Yeah, we know the narratives. We know how Sky operate. But one, what the fuck kind of question is that? As Rhino GT4 quite rightly put in the chat. One, what the fuck kind of question is that? And two, they are trying so hard to blatantly make Rosberg bite on one of these questions of him to go off on some kind of tirade. Because it's... it's, I feel like he's been so patient these past three years. He's laughed, like, you know what? And props to Rosberg. He laughed the whole thing off. Because you know what his response was? was, I just went the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) well done that's a good that's a stupid answer for a stupid question yeah he he laughed I was like listen man I just went the wrong way man I don't know what you're talking about but you know like I can't lie like Rachel Brooks is quickly shooting up my list of least favourite Formula 1 broadcasters (laughs) ironically most of them are already on Sky Um, Mm. but Brooks like she, she did a lot of the coverage this weekend and she was awful awful like she was awful with the interviews she was talking over Herbert and Hill during practice sessions. That was bad enough. And like, when I switched to Channel 4, and Channel 4 is hosted by the lovely Lee McKenzie for a lot of the weekend because, you know, <laughs> Steve Jones had rocked up late in Hungary or whatever. And Lee McKenzie is so good. And like, she figures as well, like, she's also really good enough because she did a lot of Wimbledon for the BBC this year as well. She's, she's she off did. to Rio now for the Paralympics as well. Like, Mackenzie is so good and it frustrates me because Rachel Brooks is so bad on the other end on Sky. And, oh, oh, look at look at look at Dre there. Pining like, for his league. It pains me because I, I I want to see more female broadcasters get bigger gigs in TV no, that's, and that's sport true. and whatnot. But at the same time, I don't want to give them a pass for being bad either. And if I'm going if they're if I'm going to call a spade a spade if something is bad and I think it's shitty. I'm going to call it out. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there are plenty of good female broadcasters coming up as well. There's plenty around the world. I mean, Louise Beckett's doing great things in WEC. Shay Adam, of course, is a star of uh, Radio Le Mans broadcasting, sports car racing, and I think she does Trans Am in America as well. Uh, there's, there's been quite a few in NASCAR over the last 10 years. <laughs> Brennan is Brennan is just going to be face down on the desk in about yeah. half an hour. Um, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's like, I mean, the whole... Equality thing. Well, it's like you got to treat IndyCar's Katie Hargit as well. I think she's yeah, Hargit is fantastic. Yes, <laughs> yes, superb. Um, I wanted to give a quick mention to her as well. Um, but you know, I am firmly one of those guys that want to see more female involvement in motorsport, absolutely to the to the nth degree. So. If I'm going to do this fairly, I have to call it out when there's shit too, and unfortunately I have to do it in this case. And so, yeah, Sky, fix it game already. But again, we, we already know that's awful. Now, speaking of pettiness, King, we have to talk about Lewis Hamilton for a bit, as, as we do so often on this show. <sighs> and <laughs> now, before anybody jumps on me here, retrospectively after this show goes live <laughs> and it's settled down. Esteban Gutierrez was completely in the wrong and was quite rightly given a five-second time penalty. For like Colin Daly was sat there watching the race like, damn, man, at least I eventually moved out the way. Like, come on. 
Like Esteban absolutely should have been given a time penalty for ignoring. He just parked the bus, and he, and he did. Uh, so I am, I am in no way, you know, I am in no way trying to take some of the blame away from Esteban here because he was equally responsible for this. But King, you can't flip the bird that a guy driving past. No, no. <laughs> like I, I honestly feel like uh, like Esteban's. Like Esteban, because there there was already rumors going around that uh, Lewis instigated the stewards to investigate Rosberg during qualifying, so oh. that may have been in Esteban's mind when when Lewis, when you told when you're been, when you've been told that you've been penalized, and then Lewis goes by and flips you the bird, you, you're gonna think <laughs> something's going down. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you haven't seen this yet, Esteban went on Twitter after a couple of hours after the race had finished and goes, "Just because you're world champion doesn't mean." you have a right to be disrespectful at Lewis Hamilton. Now, Hamilton has not responded to said tweets, probably for the best in hindsight, given that he is a bit of a reckless tweeter half the times. <laughs> like, speaking from my club on this one, it's not it's not a good habit, trust me. But um, <laughs> but it's it's one of those situations where <laughs> like, like I know we've all made jokes about Will Powell's double bird salute, but let's be real, he was also fined $25,000 for that time where he did <laughs> flip the bird to the steward's office. You can't do things like that. And I'm not even criticizing Hamilton all that bad for flipping the bird. I, 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 I think I it was funny. Like, it just I, reminded I, I, me of John Cleland in 1992. It was hilarious. Yeah, I, honestly, uh, all he needed was Murray Walker going, I'm going for first, says Lewis Hamilton. Johnson, I'm not going to be the serious guy to ruin the fun in this. I'm just going to be laughing. No. How freaking petty this is. <laughs> so this, this is grade A preschool kid, just, you know, sheer sassiness from the <laughs> pair of them. Esteban I've said it before that motorsport in general, like, there is no more, any given motorsport paddock or garage area, there is no place in the world where more shade is thrown than in, in motorsport paddocks. Like in general, just drivers are like that, and I've had the, I've seen this at local, like club level motorsport. I've seen this on national level. We're seeing it now in Formula One. They've yeah. got some pretty dainty egos, haven't they? Exactly, <laughs> and and yeah, I mean, I mean, we know we all know drivers are egomaniacs, and we all know they're going to act rashly every once in a while. And again, if, if as a new indie car fan, I've gone back and watched many a video montage, and I've seen many a angry message or an anger, and it was probably you know in hindsight not necessary, but yeah. I completely agree with all that. It's, I just laugh at often just how how petty. Dude, Paul Tracy at this point is sat somewhere like, let me tell you guys something. <laughs> I can tell you some you stories. Guys have no idea. I brought a wrestling mask to a race event. These young ones don't know how to do this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Tracy, the number one heel in motorsport history. Yeah, I mean, remember when Felipe Massa did it to David Coulthard as well? Like I, think, yeah. like, he, I think he ran Coulthard off the road in Imola one year and gave him the finger as he was driving <laughs> past him. It's like, okay, I'm going to run you off and I'm going to say I'm in pole position. That, like this, that, That's what this means. Clearly. Oh, wonderful. Um, but also it's also like that Mr. Bean gif. <coughs> just checking um, the chat as well. And I uh, completely agree with you, Josh, on that one. That, uh, yes, Karun Chanok is absolutely awesome for Channel 4 as a broadcaster. He Can I just say, though... Uh, can I just say though he is great I agree with every sentiment however what made things slightly more hilarious is that this morning on Twitter his own mother made him hold the L 
Did you see this earlier on Twitter? No, I did not. I, did I don't not know if any of you saw this. It was earlier on, Curran tweeted a selfie of him and I think it was Lee McKenzie on a, on a flight to the next race, obviously at the Hockenheim ring. And I think he made a joke about it. even Lee's got sick of me talking. And his mom just tweeted in, in a classic sort of like, I'm a mom and I'm just learning to use Twitter kind of way, all in caps. And she was like, yeah, you bored her ears off. The- Something like that for the whole weekend. <laughs> and I just, and like, even Karun was just like, damn, mum, why are you so sassy? <laughs> just magic. Wow, was- yeah, there you go. And hell hath no fury like a, like an angsty mother. Um, oh, wonderful. It's yeah. like, it's just great. Like, it doesn't matter how old you are, how prominent you are on telly, your mum's always going to be the one that brings you back down to earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, <laughs> shout out to Andrew DeBay for a great story in the chat real quick. Could be worse. I've been sworn out by karting dads, confusing me for race control. I was just <laughs> commentating. <man. laughs> oh, my God. Marvellous. Wow. Oh, uh, to be fair, I've also got a pretty good story of a post-race meltdown in a press conference after a radio-controlled car racing championship. I think you've said this story, but go on. I've not said this on live. Radio-controlled radio car racing. If you ever need proof that these guys take it seriously, oh, yeah. Uh, it was out in Turkey, actually, and there was a... The final happened. The race result was, was done, but the man who finished second protested the win because he said that a marshal retrieved his car at one point and ran him back across the timing line, thus giving him an extra lap or something. Third place protested second. It took us about an hour of looking at footage and the stewards were were desperately trying to deliberate on it. Basically, second place guy got knocked down to third. So rather than penalising the winner and taking the win, he got knocked down to third. Wasn't happy about it. Did the press conference, said the phrase, this is maximum bullshit, about 20 times in one minute, threw the mic down and stormed out. It was one of the most hilarious things I think I've ever seen. <laughs> and it just proves... <laughs> like, seriously, we're talking about Formula 1. This was radio-controlled car racing. Like, <laughs> just wonderful. Just, there is nothing, nothing... Like, like, I know that Andrew will attest to this, but, like, the soccer mum kind of stereotype can be <laughs> the worst kind of thing when it comes to sports. Like, my, my brother... Used to, used to used to play football at a junior level quite well and like my dad was like the most pushy parent out there like, <laughs> as, as Ray Winston very rightly said in that commercial for the FA that one time in, in talking about it like pushy parents like they're trying to inhibit their own dreams through through their own kid yeah. so they often get very heated and very passionate about these things often more so and than the know- players themselves yeah, and do you know you what's know, hilarious was, is uh, mm. my dad ended up going the other way because uh, he played rugby for a very long time and was really good at it. And I obviously tried to go in his footsteps in secondary school, but I mean, look at me. I am about <laughs> as suited to rugby as an actual penguin. Um, and a penguin <laughs> would probably be able to catch and pass better than me. So, yeah, you know, he was always there on the touch lines. He was there like, come on, son. Yeah, you go on, you can do it. Like he wasn't, he wasn't very shouty, but there was a, just the great day where I went in, went into the kitchen one day and I just went, dad, I, I, I kind of don't want to play rugby anymore. Like, don't kill me. And he was like, son, I'm really glad you said that. There's things you're far better at in life than rugby. And I was like, thanks, Dad. Love you. I know you're trying not to say I sucked, but I get it. It's fine. As a, uh, as a guy that has met your dad, that is just absolutely hilarious. That's something I can totally yes. imagine him saying as well. Yeah. That's absolutely hilarious. 
But that is just about all we've got to go through through the Formula One Grand Prix in Hungary. Thanks everyone again for still for sticking around in the chat. I know you guys are debating Japanese drivers right now, and I'm sure it's absolutely glorious. Um, talking about their days of, 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 of AOR and whatnot, and Brennan. Like I know I remember the time that Brennan talked about going off on that AOR race, and it was also hilarious. Was, I just thought <laughs> it was like, is this guy normally this crazy? Uh, can I just um, uh, can I just before we go on to the next segment, I've got <laughs> another story for you briefly. It's just about the, my first ever online race in sim racing. Um, because it will be the worst. Like, you can all share your stories in the chat. It's not going to be bad as this. Uh, it was a tiny little league. Um, I, I don't even remember the name of the actual league, but they ran NASCAR Heat. Not NASCAR Heat Evolution, obviously, but the original NASCAR Heat. And they right. ran a mod off of that uh, for Group C sports cars, like old Le Mans prototype cars. Right, um, right. I thought it would be a great idea to make my first online sim race of any kind being this mod at Watkins Glen whilst using a default setup and a keyboard. You can kind of see where this is going. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not going in a good direction. Basically, it was a 50-lap race. I finished 14 laps down. Uh, the only two mentions I got in the race report, and this was in a field of, like, eight cars. Eight cars, and I was, like, 13 laps behind seventh place. And oh, the only man. two mentions I got... No, the three mentions I got in the race report after were, number one, after I fell off at the first corner, rejoined, nearly took out the second place car when I rejoined. Uh, mm -hmm. Number two, I got in the way of the leader going up towards the bus stop and the second place guy passed him. And then thirdly, near the end, fifth place was trying to come around at the final corner at, uh, at Watkins Glen. It's like a 90 degree fast right hander. Fifth place was going around the outside of me to lap me again. I then moved to the left to let the next guy through, but he was already halfway alongside me and I just burn out revenge, took him down straight into the wall and basically ended his race. <laughs> So they, literally just, <laughs> so literally, they just said to me after that race, they didn't ban me or anything. They just went, um, may we suggest trying something else next week? Like maybe, I don't know, the Honda Accord Challenge or something? <laughs> something a bit slower? We'll try touring cars. You're clearly not competitive for this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Johnson, you're a menace to league racing society. <laughs> uh, Why well, um, barely do it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So before we move on to other not-so-Formula 1 or actually motorsport in general related stuff guys if you're listening in the chat get your Q&A questions in now because we're going to be getting to this in about 15 minutes time so I want to go back and refer to it in the chat so if you have a question get it in now but we're going to talk about Sauber real quick and uh, King they have new owners <laughs> yes they have new owners uh, a Swiss investment group bought the team and uh, let's say the legendary Peter Sauber is now no longer a part of Sauber and has actually retired. Sad face. Sad faces everywhere. Like, like, I grew up watching Peter Sauber, and like, like, Sauber for me was like the plucky little man who could in that Sauber team. And, you know, and uh, like for me, it, it, it goes down more to like Sauber when they were getting the hand-me-down Ferraris from the previous year. It's like like they, they brought through Kimi Raikkonen. For oh, the, the Petronas cars. Yeah, they yeah, look the great. Petronas cars back in the day. They had Raikkonen. They took Raikkonen through. They had Felipe Massa come through there. Um, you know, and like. Like, that, that was the joke with Sauber. They, they, they always had last year's Ferrari that was never quite as good. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they were always plucky and they've had over 400 Grand Prix. And, I mean, King, what, what do you think this means for the future of Sauber going forward? I actually don't know too much about this story, but, I mean, 
on, on the face of it, you'd think, okay, someone's bought the team. That means they're, they're going to invest some money into it, right? Right? Uh, I, I, it was more of them needing uh, the the cash injection to survive. It, it wasn't. I, I don't see them getting better, but they're still going to be around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think like F one is such an arms race, and it's 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 really difficult to get a grip of it because it's impossible to predict what could happen, especially next year because with you know free engine development going around and you know basically more downforce opening up the regulations a little bit again as, as a reset so things are bound to be shaken up a little bit at least but i mean johnson wait, wait, well, how do you feel about this because me i'm thinking like salva's got such a long way to go before they can become like maybe even 2012 good again i mean where, where do you start from, from here really yeah it's it's difficult like I, I predicted at the start of the season and i took no pleasure in this that uh like mana and renault would probably or could probably vault them because sauber were the ones treading water like they were the ones that were desperately trying to just keep their heads above water and mm -hmm. it, it's been a way of it's been this way for a few years now and it's been difficult like there's there's always got to be a team you know especially with a smaller grid now and with costs still rising as they do in formula one the hybrid era has sky rocketed costs across the board mm -hmm. so you know it, like we've we, i mean when catering went under uh two years ago and mana marussia nearly followed them there were about three or four other teams that also revealed they're in trouble lotus last year were in trouble it's almost like at this point it's like a sort of pac-man thing it's like pac-man is following the the back end of the field waiting for the next person to run out of money and get gobbled up and it looks like sauber are almost there at the moment um lotus obviously got saved by a renault takeover um but sauber now I, this is gonna have to be a substantial amount of money to just keep them on the grid and and the bigger problem they now face we talked about this before now that there's 11 teams again there's going to be someone who doesn't get any constructor money and i think whoever doesn't is going to be if, i mean if it's sauber they're finished if sauber yeah. finished last in the championship this year i think they're finished unless yeah. they find some new investment somewhere you've talked and, about this before dre what's the return on investment for a formula one team unless it's a vanity project i mean haas has basically said you know what we're doing it as a big marketing stunt a big sort of you know exercise i don't mind sinking a ton of money in and making a loss at the moment that's the only attitude you've got to have yeah, sorry to cut you, but Gene Haas already sorry. went on the record last year and said we're willing to lose a hundred million bucks a year on this project, which says a lot about you know where they are. I mean, Haas are seventh overall in the constructors right now. Sauber are stone dead last, and only the top ten get that forty million dollar F1 constructors money. So literally, the battle between Manor and Sauber right now is worth forty million bucks right now. Like. People think like, and who says all the dramas at the top? Um, but yeah, like the, the, the bottom mark, this is serious, serious stuff. I mean, Mana with a $40 million bonus would be very nice indeed, given the forward steps they've made this year. I mean, Mana no longer just reek of the dead last team that are like three seconds off the top. Mana have legitimately managed to slot their way into the rest of the field now for me. So for that to be a thing, Sauber is in big, big trouble. Yeah. And they like, me. Yeah. Go, go, go. Like, this is, a, this is a big deal. Like, the reason why Peter Sauber is retiring is because he was replaced as chairman of the board of directors by the CEO of the new financial company that, that, owned, that bought the team. So, like, has Sauber basically been given, like, the Jeremy Corbyn-style vote of no confidence here? Uh, I wouldn't say no. I think it was, I think it was a part of the deal to buy up the team that they would be director, that they would have control of the board of directors at Sauber. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it makes sense. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Manisha Keltenborn will stay on as team principal, and she said, she's she said that hopefully this will be the beginning. Well, oh, do I have the quote? The direct <laughs> quote here. We are convinced that Longbow Finance, the company that bought Sauber, is the perfect partner to to make the team to to again make the team competitive and successful in Formula One. Sounds reassuring from the woman that signed three drivers at the same time. I was going to say, somewhere in the world, Guido Vandergaard is just looking at his phone going, well, I'm not waiting for a call. No, like, Vandergaard's looking at his phone and saying, like, go fuck yourself, Manisha. I mean, it's, 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 it's probably much more likely than uh, expecting a phone call. Oh, I'm down with Jota Sport in WEC, Matt. Now, at least they're allowed to sign three drivers because that's kind of the point of sports car racing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go to the view, listen to Q&A, everybody. So we'll, we'll answer questions for the next 20, 30 minutes. So send them in if you haven't already. Um, I'm just going to go from the top. So if I get to you guys a little bit late, you know, feel, um, I do apologize. But, you know, that's your fault for typing too many messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I say we're popping? We've got 36 people watching this right now. I'm very impressed. So thanks to everybody wow. that's, that's watching that. So I'm very impressed. We've never had this on around the corner. <laughs> in, in the words of Bruce Forsyth, you're so much better than last week. Um, <laughs> let's... Um, Let's have a look at the questions here. Um, ABCDEFG asks, Q&A question, can Helio and TK still manage to win the championship without winning a single race? Very much so. I, I think it's going to be difficult with a, with a double points race still True. to go. It's going to be hard. Yeah, I mean, Sonoma carries double points at 100, so I think that could be quite difficult. But hey, shout out to TK for actually still proving he can still be a top-tier contender. Um, in a season where everyone thinks he's going to lose his seat, TK is actually the highest-ranking guy out of the Chip Ganassi team right now, which is... He's basically having the Kimi Raikkonen season, isn't he? Yeah, he's having the season where everybody kind of wants him gone for somebody fresh, but he's actually still good enough to justify his place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of awkward right now. And Helio I think it's because still... he's not been making any Fast and Furious movies lately. Exactly. He's had time to focus on his driving again. <laughs> you, you are the worst, Johnson, the absolute worst. But, but come yeah. on, have you ever seen Tony Kanan and Vin Diesel in the same room? <laughs> this is true. One of these days, that's got to be a selfie they've got to put out there. Just the moment Kanan and Vin Diesel are in the same selfie, yep. the world would just explode. Yep, true that. And Helio is still Helio, and he's still has magnificent hair so yeah he's, hey. he's still right up in there as well um also shout out to nord that says f1 2016 breakdown video drink oh dear um and um andrew andrew the blade says question for resident sports car man johnson if toyota missed their chance of winning the wec at all this year hashtag it still hurts uh well uh, <laughs> If Le Mans wasn't going to go their way, yeah. I I think, honestly, um, Toyota really uh, really put the, bet the house on Le Mans. And they had it won. I mean, seriously, they had the thing won. Has there ever oh, yeah. been a more uh, tragic story of, of like... Uh, I mean, maybe tragic's not the wrong word. It is only sport. But, like, <laughs> more heartbreaking. Like, I literally, I remember hearing just... Uh, uh, my, my internet connection went down and I quickly switched on my laptop to catch the final minute. I was like, I just want to hear the end of the race. Nothing's going to happen. I switched on and John Hindhoff is literally screaming, like just screaming that the Toyota has just stopped in front of him on the start for straight. And I just went, it's, are you serious? Are you it's, serious? It's, it's, um, it's, it's one of the most unbelievable gut-wrenching finishes oh. I think I've ever seen in a motorsport race ever in my entire life. That was... After 24 hours as well. And I mean, like... Mm. Yeah, and and uh, I think to be, five minutes. Mm. 
Yeah, and, and the thing didn't even get classified. That's what's really killed it. Yeah, that um, was a gut wrencher. Yeah, that I mean. Toyota were off it, uh, were off the pace most of last year. People forget about that. Like people, people remember Porsche being really good. People remember Audi being there or thereabouts. People remember Nissan being terrible. But no one yeah. remembers Toyota because they were just sort of just not yeah. even there. They mm-hmm. were very reliable, but they weren't even there. And and this year at Le Mans was a great chance for them because, as I think Sam Collins uh, of Race Car Engineering said on the broadcast, Audi brought along an experimental car. It was basically Audi's turn to do a Nissan. They brought a car along yep. this year at Le Mans that wasn't ready. But given that yeah. it's Audi, they've got many more years of experience in the bank, so they still did make the car at least get the finish. You know, I think they got a car on the podium in the end. Second, but yeah. Toyota had a great shot. They had Porsche on, on, on pace. They had Porsche in terms of Porsche made some pretty bad strategic calls. I think they put the house on Le Mans, hoping that that would kickstart the second half of their season, because traditionally Toyota have good second halves of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, they normally do well at their home race in Fuji, uh, over in, you know, in Kota, places like that. They normally do well there, but it, it feels like if Le Mans, Le Mans was the great busted flush in the end, and now, you know, Porsche and Audi are back to where they have been for the last year or so. So I think Toyota missed yeah. the boat for this year, and it's a real shame. As we saw, as we saw yesterday, as Porsche took the six hours of the Nurburgring, we saw yesterday. So Indeed. Congrats to, congrats to them as ever. Danny Brennan asks: Seeing as I'm currently writing up something on this, oh, nice. Who do you guys think the next American F1 winner is, and when will it happen? Oh, next American Ooh. race winner. Hmm. Next American F1 race winner hasn't started racing cars yet. Probably. Like Probably. The- you don't think it's anyone who's currently active? No, no one active. No wow. one active. So there's uh, no. Out there no... you, out there you pour water and add Joseph Newgarden dream king. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> New, fun. Newgarden is not going to have you. Yeah, but that's the that's the big problem. Like there's, uh, there are I, guys again, talented enough in America, but when it's, they're in IndyCar, it, it why should they go to F1? They're making a great money um, over there. Like right the thing now, is with America, it's almost worth staying in America because you almost make as much of a career over there as you do in, in Europe. It's almost like the WEC versus IMSA. But, um, it's like America is a continent unto itself. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah, you know, making but, it to Formula 1. I think it's largely oh, the dear, fact that is when you go to F1, there's very few teams you, you could win with. It's easy to sell an IndyCar seat because in most teams, you have a legitimate chance of winning a race. Yeah, even like Dale Coyne, AJ Ford, even teams that, that have not been too good this year. They've had chances to win races and indeed have won races. So it's a more open playing field. But in F1, if you literally, at this point in time, if you don't sign for Mercedes and they've just signed both their drivers through for three year contracts, you're not going to be winning races. So that's a hard sell. And especially, you're going to be expected to bring money to the table and you're probably not going to see much of a return on that. Yeah, absolutely. Without, without question. Also, King, you may want to check the Zencaster real quick also, because my internet oh did God. cut out Crazy there for about five seconds. Oh, well, quite know I, like, what's going we, on. we can talk about like. Uh, Wait a minute. Like I still remember a couple years ago when it was pegged that uh, Massa was ah. leaving Williams. The first time he was pegged to be leaving Williams, uh, the the rumored replacement for Felipe Massa was, albeit not an American, a Canadian, James Hinchcliffe, and that. Never materialized because um, a key part of that was him keeping the GoDaddy sponsorship, and but then GoDaddy decided, yeah, we're just gonna pull out a motorsport. Oh, that's a shame. Andre's back. Yeah, yeah. So I hope you guys are okay without me um, for a minute there. I, I, I hope my audio it was, was still really, It was really dramatic as well. You just went and also cut. <laughs> <laughs> also, it was just like also. <laughs> 
Listen, if I'm if I'm if I'm not gonna be here, at least I could at least I can be dramatic about the whole thing and you know It's almost like the whole Top Gear Joker, if one of the presenters died, they're always gonna be like, So Richard Hammond is dead. Anyway yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you'd like a job on Top Gear and um, mm. yeah, so, so yeah, I hopefully hope I hope the Zen I, 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 the Zencast is still playing, I can still see my yes. my, my so that's all good. So yeah, I'm still here. Sorry about that, my internet did actually die temporarily for about a minute or so um but i seem to be back i seem to be okay i can hear you guys all right so i'm going to assume that didn't happen and we're going to carry <laughs> on because we're real professional about this um jake petrol i don't know if you answered this question really when i was gone, gone but i don't think you have but yeah q a's thoughts on harry anto's funding breakup and he will stay and johnson thoughts on stuart ass's xfinity announcements so johnson he can yeah, I'll, I'll take the Harry Anto one first. I mean, the story did come through on motorsport.com yesterday that it seems that um, Stoffel Van Dorn is heavily rumoured to be potentially taking Manor's seat because ha- apparently Rio Harry Anto's funding is officially finished. He's out of money. Um, and as he may not have realised, there's still 10 races to go this season. So um, it's, 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 it's... Get the crowdfunders ready, Glads. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly what you call ideal by any stretch of the imagination. But... Um, I think, like, it, like Manor can't continue. They, like, Manor are still very much hand-to-mouth in terms of financial support. And I think for me, King, the impression I get is that if they're not going to run him, if there's not an, if there's not too many clashes, wouldn't they just give it to Alexander Rossi? <laughs> uh, I, I, they would give it to Rossi, but I, it's more of Rossi not wanting to do it because I don't think... He he wouldn't be available until after Sonoma. So true. Yeah, which would be like end of September, which I think is you know Singapore kind of time, which is already quite late on in the year. Um, so maybe maybe they'll give Stoffel a call. I mean, if McLaren can flip the bill and get some get their boys some experience. I mean, McLaren are already kind of in a logjam as it is with Button and Alonso seemingly not going anywhere for next season. But maybe they'll move Button along. But I think they're going to keep Alonso for at least one more year. So that's the impression I get. We'll have to wait and see. But I am all for Stoffel Van Dorn. I mean, that's like the internet dream team right there. Stoffel Van Dorn and Pascal Verline in that manatee. <laughs> That's a very exciting yet mediocre car lineup right there with Van Dorn and with Van Dorn and Verline. And in the best state. looking car on the grid, you 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 basically win three ways that time. Yeah, you are you are you are the sexy pick of the F1 team now. So yeah, yeah. If you want some value <laughs> in that, then you know, roll with it. I say. Um, Max twenty four asks, how long do you think it will be until McLaren are at the front again? One for oh. you, Arav. <laughs> what are you uh, never yeah. uh, I, um, I really have to say for M- McLaren to even be competitive again like for McLaren to even have a chance to win races it's a long way down the road I want to mm. say their their first legitimate shot at winning a race would probably be around like 2018 2019 the problem yeah. they've got at the moment is they basically have to wait until the next big change in engine rules because at the moment they are effectively starting a year behind everyone else and yeah. no one else is slowing down so they are literally powering along they make great gains they might now be at a competitive level for last year problem is we're a year down the road so they're just fighting to keep up there's no it, it's going to be so hard with these engines to make that big that massive leap forward that suddenly puts well, them up the top of the field. The thing is, the thing is, they could. This the, this upcoming off season is going to be the big risk reward section where it could com- go completely in the shitter or bring them to another level because the the token rules are no longer in effect 
this offseason so they yep. can legitimately do anything they want this upcoming offseason. Agreed. And, you know, I've, I've always believed in what's called what's known as the law of diminishing returns, where eventually the yeah. gains that other teams will make will be less and less, and eventually... They just can't keep making the same gains yeah, at the same rate. They'll catch up, but I feel like Honda. I think at least another year away. I think I was thinking 2018, 2019. Or shout out to my uh, my kind of CEO at Downforce, Jake Sanson, who told me adamantly last year that by that, that McLaren were going to win the 2017 Constructors Championship. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, ever the optimist. I'm really optimist, can I, ask Hanson. But, yeah, can uh, I just say I never, I never answered uh, Jake's question about the Stuart yes. Haas Xfinity team. Uh, I'll do that quickly. Um, I saw the announcement drops before uh, we went on the air that uh, Stuart Haas Racing uh, will be running an Xfinity Series team next year. Um, from what I've seen briefly on Twitter, I think this has something to do with them switching to Ford next year. Ford are heavily yeah. funding that team, so I think they've 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 launched an Xfinity Series team alongside it. I think it's going to be very cool. Um, at the moment, the only competitive teams in Xfinity are normally the the Cup satellite teams. So uh, it, it depends on if you think it's a bad thing that we've got another one of those, or at least we've got another car that's competitive. I think what will settle it for me, I really hope it's a driver development car. What I, what I hope it's not is like, uh, well, obviously Kyle Busch is just, it, it, it's not even a case of rotating drivers. It's just the Kyle Busch show down there. Or mm-hmm. Penske only has the one car now, which is generally shared between Keselowski and Logano. Uh, I want this car to, to be, you know, use someone like Cole Custer or, or a young driver they've signed on their books. You know, maybe he runs 20 races. Maybe you then split the remaining 10 between Tony, well, not Tony Stewart, but Kurt <laughs> Busch maybe does a few races. Maybe Danica does a few races. You know, maybe something like that. Maybe you get a ringer in for the road courses. Like I think Penske have run Alex Tagliani um, a few times on the road courses. Um Dre's just like, how much longer are you going to talk NASCAR on my show? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, th- I think if, if it's used as like a driver development car, I think it's a very positive move. I, was like, like, I, I mean, random NASCAR side note. One of the things I hope would be like a stipulation of the charter system would be like, if you're running four cars, you have to run an Xfinity team with a non-cup driver. That would have been awesome. That's a great uh, idea. I like that. Okay. The reason that my reason why my eyes went up was that King just put in our private chat, and this is a little fun thing for you guys at home, and this is going to be very oh, interesting. Draft spoiler, like the the message reads, and I quote: "Draft spoiler: the winner of the public vote is not the overall winner." So, <laughs> again, and we don't know who's won the public vote. Who we don't know anything. Won the public vote, so we're we genuinely know nothing. The only person that knows who's won is King. <laughs> obviously he's keeping it quiet for about another half hour to an hour or so but I'm going to try and speed up because these guys are sending in so many questions and you guys are fantastic yeah, but go we, for it. we don't want to be here all night so if we can speed up just a little bit maybe that would be yeah, great um, quickly says Q&A back Inferno would you say this year's Mercedes is the most dominant car in F1 history probably <laughs> it's yeah up probably hard to argue with that it's, it's up there it's up there it's up. with either like the Fangio Mercedes or, or the, the Lotus 72, Ferrari maybe. Years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's up there. Um, Deathwing 417. Should Formula One go back to V8s to reduce costs? No, they've let the, no. This going is- back would make it more expensive, to be yeah. honest. No, it would look silly. Like you've put all that money you've made, you, you've spent on these previous engines, and you basically say, "No, get rid of it. It was a waste. We're going back to the old cars, and you've got to develop old engines again." It's 
it's even more expensive. Like yeah, I think the only way the only way you introduce different kinds of engines in Formula One now is with a balance of performance system, and I can't see Formula One ever going in for no. like this is a sport that already tries to ban radio communications for fears about making the sport like fixed mm-hmm. or artificial in any way. They're yep. not going to go in for that. Yep. Sid Motorsport asks Q and A. This will really help me in my in my project too. How much do you think the business side of F1 ruins the competitiveness between teams in F1? About ninety five percent. Formula One is an arms race, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely one in there. Um, we already talked about Harry Anto, Andy. Um, which F1 season would make a better movie, twenty fourteen or twenty sixteen? Ooh, twenty sixteen, I would say. Um, it's probably Ooh. been a little bit better than twenty fourteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Um, UK gaming, we're getting onto Robot Wars in about twenty minutes' time, so stay tuned for that. Um, let's have a look here. Q and A question from Shy Guy three hundred six. So hi, Josh. Who will be Renault's drivers next season? Magnussen and maybe Esteban Ocon. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards Ocon. Yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> you don't think Palmer's got much of a chance, do you? <laughs> no, Palmer's <laughs> uh, K- not being great. And I know Nora asked about Palmer, and I f- I- I'll say what I said about three weeks ago. Yeah, he, 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 he's never, he's just not ready for this, in my opinion. I think he's just not there yet for me. This is one of those debuts where it's got, kind of gone horribly wrong. It's like it, sometimes it's no one's fault. Sometimes he can't see it coming. But mm-hmm. he's just he's sinking rather than swimming right now, and it's a real shame. Um, question: Will Daniel Ricciardo ever win a world title? I'm thinking probably not. Like it would take a big, I think a big, I think a big um, push from um, Red Bull for that to order to happen. But I mean, Ricardo, I think is good enough to win one. But that's just not the problem. The problem is, can Mercs be toppled as a team? I mean, as you've already established, they're just not particularly there yet. Unfortunately, I mean, they're good, but they're just not there yet. But you know. Make of that what you will. Um, I'm just going through the chat with everyone joking about me leaving the stream. That's how far behind I am for what it's worth, but uh, I'm trying to catch <laughs> up. Um, Evan Byrne, best game that needs a movie? None. Games that are based on games that are based on movies or movies that are based on games don't tend to do very well. Let's let let's let's if let's not I, be- if let's I not- thought a good film could be made out of it, the first Metal Gear Solid. But as Dre said, yeah. almost all films are like dreadful. Oh, all games make dreadful films. Have we just yeah. lost King? We may have done. I think we have. <laughs> it's King's it's turn. That, it's 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 been that kind of show today where you know the like I've left now. King's left. Johnson's got off his seat about fifteen times over. Um, it's like his internet po- may have gone. Oh, he's just posted. Know. He's just posted offline that the his power's gone out for a moment. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Luckily, the Zencast is still running. <laughs> yes, and we appear to still be on the air. Yeah, that's, that, that is good. That is good. It looks like he's it's, <laughs> been powered independently. Maybe it might have just been the internet that might have gone down. So um, I'm not complaining at this point. We are still on the air. So we, I, I mean, I still see the live button. In the Guys in the window. chat, stop jinxing my internet. Stop it. Yeah. Yes, no, stop it. We, 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 we don't want this. Um, so Smooth Racing just tweeted saying Dre's internet went down far quicker than Hulkenberg's stock. Um, oh! Oh, damn! Yeah. Fair point, fair point. I can't argue with that at this point. Um, question from uh, Deathwing417. Is it a mistake for Mana running both a WEC team and an F1 team? No, because they're separate entities. Yeah, they're not the same. They're separate groups in that regard. Like, the, the manner that we know and generally speaking quite like with Graham Loudon and John Booth, they're right in the WEC department now. Like, they're the same by kind of name only, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Uh, like, like I, I'm, pr I'm pretty darn sure that Loudon and Booth still own the rights to the name, but I think as a group, the other guys of invest investors have got in. Oh, and King's back. Um, yeah. <laughs> King! <laughs> oh, thank God for that. But um, yeah, separate groups, not the same thing. Um, <laughs> Josh also asks, whatever, what, what's, what's happened to Sutil and Bex? King, fill us in. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know what Adrian Sutil's doing now. Like, it's, it's, I have to look this up now. Now I'm intrigued. I have to look this up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what is Adrian Sutil doing with his life? Yeah. What, like, do you know what? what I do you know what? I got horribly confused for a second. You said Sutil and Bex. <laughs> As in oh. Rebecca James. <laughs> <laughs> no. Rebecca James, you ain't been telling me something. Come on. That that is. That Jay's is gonna be heartbroken. For those don't know, that is a. What do you mean I'm gonna be heartbroken? What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck are you implying, Johnson? <laughs> no, no, she doesn't. She doesn't go for attractive Londoners. But for what, for what it's for what it's worth, That's both of us out um, there. That that is a bike life reference for those guys that you know may or may not listen to a show. But um, I love that Matt's comment underneath was, "Who needs Bex when you have Amelia?" <laughs> <laughs> Peter Island is very, very attractive. That I, that I, that I, that I can't deny. Um, cheap. Uh, any other questions? To check, quickly scroll down here, real quick, and play catch up. Give me a minute. This is again. This is real professional of me. Um, the king is dead. Long we need the some king like elevator cooking the chat. That's actually quite funny. Um, yeah. Uh, question. Uh, let me have a look here, real quick. Um, uh, Johnson, who do you fancy for the BTCC title? This year, says Joe Ellis. Oh, goodness me. Don't... Oh, Matt. That's probably the most competitive championship in world motorsport at the moment. Uh, Sam Tordoff's leading it at the moment, who has been good but not there or there. I think this season's been blown wide open by the fact that two uh, of the major championship contenders from previous years, Jason Plato and Colin Turkington, have been in the Subarus, which took four rounds to get going. They were terrible for the first three rounds. They only... Well, they sat out round three because they feared they might catch fire. Not a good sign. As, um, as, as you do. <laughs> yeah, and it was only by round four that they got semi-competitive. So by then, everyone else had kind of broken clear at the front. So uh, I want to say I picked at the start of the year Gordon Shedden. He's still in the running. I think he makes it three championships. But it's, oh man, it's impossible to predict. I just think Shedden's experience and the Honda guys being as good as they are, I think they'll just edge it in the end. But it'll be very close. Yeah, so there you go. There's your BTCC for the um, for, for the day. Oh, Andy Graham also. In fact, I've got all of those questions. Um, opinions on Lynn's drop of form in GP2. And this is actually something that came out later yeah. earlier today that Alex Lynn uh, made the announcement this afternoon that this will be his last season in GP2. Now you can lead that to all sorts of speculation. He says he's not. He won't be back with GP2. And he also said that Dams is not what they were last year. Now. Dams were pretty good last year. I mean, Lynn finished sixth overall in the championship of GP2 last year. But, I mean, King, where do you think he may end up? Because, I mean, I don't think Williams are going to give him an F1 seat. I mean, I, I don't see how he gets into F1 for next season. My hunch was Formula E, maybe with yeah, Jaguar. Um, it's, it's either Formula E or I don't know if he'll come to the States. It, it doesn't seem like a movie he would make to come to the he's states he's very british he's very british alan um and I, love, <laughs> I love one of beck's 117 bays for what it's worth but um <laughs> well 118 now we've got aging Sutil as well apparently um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like she, she, 
She's like, honestly, I'll tell you a quick side note story. Here. She's she's been begging me to do a bike live in the off season because there's a four week summer break between MotoGP now between Germany and Austria, and like we have to think of shows to fill the time until you know next you know next month and whatnot. And she's been begging me to do a two hour episode in as dedication to Casey Stoner's career. <sighs> Because she's read Stoner's autobiography and she's fallen in love with him, and she's now been begging me to do a to do a two hour special on on Stoner's career, and I'm thinking, God no, please no. <laughs> like Stoner's about as entertaining as a wet as a wet banana. I do not want to talk about him on radio for two hours as much as he's an amazing talent. Um, <laughs> well, well, yeah. you don't you don't have to talk about stoner you could talk about the writer stoner went up against mm. that's then, an idea. Uh, but i don't i don't want to show weakness either so uh <laughs> you don't want to show weakness yeah i don't want to show weakness like, like let's go along with that yeah yeah <laughs> but also just as a shout out to justice in the chat thanks for letting btcc having a spot on the show dre look, look this this is a democracy to a, to a degree um, <laughs> also, Josh saying, Sitter is playing his piano on a beach, drink, drinking his Capri Sun. Um, <laughs> also, Q&A from Rhino GT4 saying, when is King starting his series of WTF moments from Formula One? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's almost like the internet wants us to be the motorsports what culture. Yeah, basically, that's what they want us to be. <laughs> Well, we I, got King, 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 King. Series of WT, like, like it'll, be, it'll be like our version of NASCAR. Next hang on. Yes. Well, hang on. You've got the suit. You've got. You can either be Petiti or Blompier. I feel like Dre would be a perfect Blompier. Yeah, he's a Blompier. <laughs> he's a Blompier. I don't even know what this means. <laughs> Dre, just well, say the words "back to work, dickhead." <laughs> he doesn't know what that means. He's not- but it's perfect. He nags us about video edits anyway. That's what he does. <laughs> to be fair, this is very much it's like I, I don't care about your diabetes. Just edit faster. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I've often thought this on many occasions on my channel. I was like, I was like, hey, I was meant to have three videos with this week, and I got zero. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> That's, your like fault, King. That's your fucking. That's your fucking yeah, goddamn me. coursework. I feel like it's gonna. It, I'd either be Pachiti or maybe Jack the Jobber. Yeah. <laughs> Unless Jordy, well, I've got the hat. So. Clearly, that's a thing. Also, I'll, I'll I'll let Josh get in one more BTCC question because he's such a nice guy. Oh, rear-wheel drive cars the way to go in the BTCC now. Honda are looking into it for 2017. Johnson, that's all yours. <laughs> no, because uh, they run counter... Well, <clears throat> they kind of run counter to uh, what the Touring Cars is all about. Plus, uh, Touring Cars is not like Formula 1. It's not an open rule book on this. When uh, a car comes in that's better, you know, it's a balance of performance kind of series. They use ballast, they uh, use turbo you know kind of balancing things like that you know we've had this debate for years but ultimately uh until was it last year no it was the year before it, uh, until 2014 a rear-wheel drive car hadn't won the championship in quite a while bmw won it with colin turkington that was a rear-wheel drive car last year uh shed won it front-wheel drive car 
and his championship rivals, Jason Plato, in a front-wheel drive car. So the, uh, the series can't afford so many of its main cars. It's a production-based series. It needs those production cars to be at the forefront, and too many of those are hatchbacks, which are front-wheel drive. So, yeah, this is you not know, America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if rear-wheel drive becomes the dominant form, you effectively lose the Honda Civic. You lose, you know, all of the major hatchbacks, which are front-wheel drive, or even a lot of the saloon cars. So they need to find a way to keep front and rear-wheel drive coexisting. And despite Jason Plato's protestations last year and the year before, I think largely they've done a good job. So... Okay, yeah, I think we'll call that a day for the questions. Thanks, everybody, for sending the questions in. Sorry if I didn't get around to you. That's partly my fault again with my internet and partly because you guys are just so friggin' active in here. Still have 35 <laughs> of you watching, which is amazing. Uh, also, Danny just put a suggestion in the videos. It's top 10 unplanned times. Dre's internet broke streams. <laughs> <laughs> my my response 10? to that is... My, I was just about to say that. Only ten, um, but uh, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for that, you guys. Much appreciated. Let's talk about Robot Wars quick. I mean, King, have you did you watch episode one of Robot Wars yet? The reboot? Uh, no, I did not watch it because I was watching the Brickyard Four Hundred. You traitor! Oh, one person no, who no, was. I'm no, I'm joking. Like, like even Johnson. Hey, I couldn't watch it. I'm in the states. <laughs> that. So it, that. it wasn't my choice. Yeah, like to be fair, I, I struggled for a long time to find episodes of any given Wednesday with Bill Simmons until somebody sent me a link on Put Locker. But um, yeah, that was that was a thing. But I mean, people have asked me my opinion on, on what I thought about Robot Wars as a reboot as it came back on last night. And I know we've kind of we're such fans of pop culture on here. I don't think anybody would actually complain if we talked about it on the podcast. So we will um, to fill a bit more time before we get to the uh, a little bit more fun and quite tense stuff as Kings. Just worries me about the fact he knows who's won. It's quite terrifying. Um, but um, Johnson, we're both just out here. Just tell just, us, damn it. Just, yeah, John, like Johnson is like. Uh, so Johnson, what did you make of the reboot? I mean, generally speaking, I think I I think we're in pretty much in unison when we both say if it was a very good, a very very good reboot. Yeah, I think it basically uh, it was kind of interesting to me because it. I mean. Uh, let's be honest here. Uh, I don't know about you, Dre. I know exactly where I was when they announced the reboot. Uh, mm. I was in the car with, um, I think it was Tom Brooks, also of Downforce Radio. We were heading to the Autosport show early this year. And I almost caused us to crash the car with my explanation of disbelief when I saw the tweet come in on my phone. Because, like, l let's be clear here. Like, Robot Wars was my childhood. More than any my other thing robot wars was it exactly robot wars for our generation robot wars was it it was our childhood i growing up for me it was pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh, and robot wars in that order in descending order so you know we've had two out of the we've had two out of the three as well this year Yu-Gi-Oh. you just need to come back as well so it's still running arc five is still running it just never went away <laughs> yeah, it's never gone away. It's just, just, just not relevant anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, what was really impressive about uh, New Robot Wars is it kind of it really felt to me like uh, clearly the people involved loved it and were people involved with it last time around, which is great. They understood, but more pivotally, on a, on quite a serious note here, they understood what they wanted New Robot Wars to be, and they understood who they wanted it to be for, which was us. They wanted it to be for fans of the original show who've grown up 
I mean, we were like, what, 10, 11 years old when Robot Wars went off the air, let alone like yeah, we, were, less, we yeah. were kids. Yeah, we were kids when the first series came around and we were marking out and, you know, playing with the, the little pullback toys and everything. And I've still got them somewhere in the loft as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we all did. Let's be real. Um, mm -hmm. Or we'd make robots out of Lego and stuff and, and all the, you know, all the great things. So... For me, what was really interesting about the show was the presentation. It felt a lot less bombastic than old Robot Wars. It was, le it was. I mean, one of the criticisms was it, it could have felt a bit tighter in the editing. It didn't quite sure. have a flow, but I attribute part of that to first episode syndrome in that, hey, people are, this has been off the air for 14 years. There are people tuning in who are not going to know what this is about or why people love this. We need to, for those of you new around here, let's explain why yes. this is a big deal. So they had to do the explaining thing. But for me, uh, and I talked with a few people on Twitter about this, it felt a lot more documentary-based rather than the old series, yes. which kind of felt like a wrestling show. You know, big graphics, big, you know, loud, shouty announcements, Craig Charles, let the wars begin. All the, you know, bombastic, really in-your-face kind of stuff, music, the lot. Um, this one was slower paced you know Dara O'Brien was a good host very very good I think he's slotted yes. in perfectly and he fits the new era of show well because he is That's genuinely great. enthusiastic he's a genuine nerd he knows what he's talking about Angela Scanlon as well very very good and, and let's be honest with you like for this new era for this slightly more mature era would Philippa Forrester in a tight black and yellow cat suit slightly unzipped really have worked I don't think so no, like in 2016 I don't think it would have worked we all loved it back then of course we were because we were young boys but well, you know like it, then. I mean but still like yeah <laughs> yeah, very yeah much but, so. I mean my point is why I think this new series or well, the new the first episode worked is that it knew that it couldn't stay the same. It knew that it couldn't just be a, a, a straight continuation of the old series because things have changed and we've grown up. So it was yes. clearly geared towards the original fans who have now grown up. I kind of compared it to a boy band, like take that, like a big boy band from the 90s that come back, they know their fan base has matured, they've matured, their music's still really good, but it's mm -hmm. slightly different. And this new series felt fresh. It had a lot of new, interesting elements. The presentation was different. Uh, I mean, there wasn't really a theme, which was a bit annoying, but I hope they try and rectify that. There was kind of no theme music at all. Um, yeah, but for, for all that was new, there was enough classic elements there to make you remember why you love Robot Wars in the first place. And there were enough moments that made me sort of giggle like a little kid again. Um, like, I enjoyed it from the perspective of a 24-year-old grown man, and I enjoyed it from the perspective of a 10-year-old kid whose favourite TV show had come back on the air. And I think... I don't know what you feel about this, Dre. I think a big part to play in, in all that was Jonathan Pierce because he was the one original uh, member of yeah. that kind of presenting trio, the on-air talent, if you will, to return. And, like, for as much as it was more reserved, you know, they showed a lot more of the backstage pit stuff. You know, there was a lot more behind-the-curtain stuff. They even interviewed Noel Sharkey at one point, and he talked about in-depth stuff about robotics and that. It was You wouldn't get that on the old show. That was It was a bit too much, shut up, a robot hasn't blown up in the last five seconds, let's get back to the arena. But, yeah. you know, this yeah. time there was a lot more pauses. But... Soon as they did get in the arena, Jonathan Pierce comes on the microphone. It's all energy. It's all humor. He's in hysterics. He's shouting. It's all action. You know, you've got, you know, crap driver. You've got legendary robots. You've got new robots causing destruction. That's the original love of Robot Wars. The entertainment comes straight back. And that's why I think the new series, it worked. It's fresh in the right ways. And it harks back to the classic series in the right ways as well. Do you want to just take over the rest of the podcast, Johnson? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. But, I can't uh, help it. 
No, like 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 Johnson reminds you of Woodwiss in the sense of once he once you once you wind him up, off he just goes. But um, I I can't disagree with, with with most of what Johnson said there. Um, I generally echo a lot of his sentiments for the most part. I mean, only real major nitpick, no real distinct theme song. That's kind of annoying because like people recognize the old theme song oh yeah immediately and it's iconic in that regard and it's a shame they couldn't have something as poignant to open up the show and i think that's i think johnson drew on i think the biggest difference is that it is a different show this is like this is not the 90 the late 90s early 2000s um and the, yeah where the show was a lot more bombastic a lot more of an exhibition a lot more of a you know again as what johnson quite i said a, a, a pro wrestling-esque kind of you know experience where it's all like you know bombastic loud like you know craig i mean people talked about oh do you miss craig charles and i'm like yes and no because yes because i, I love this in his infusion. i don't think he would have worked on the new format yeah, but now think, yeah, seeing what they want from the new format i don't think he would have yeah, worked i could i could I completely agree. I think they're, I think they're, they're taking a, a fairly more serious approach to this to this series, and that's not a bad thing, um, because again, Dara O'Brien is a, like I said it before. If Charles isn't coming back, I thought Dara O'Brien would be the perfect host for this format, and I'm glad they they, 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 they took that up because Dara O'Brien is funny and he is a proper nerd as well. So again, he he fit right into this format. I love the fact that he uh, he and Angela Scanlon actually you know split duties, and there wasn't just you know one iconic host and a lackey. They were both equal in their own roles i mean that's a, a great yeah. you know, distinct message out there that's sending out as well i there was definitely a more behind the scenes kind of vibe um to the show and i thought again that was good i i, I mean i mean again we're, we're we're interested in stories we like the human elements of this i mean the the old guy from terahertz holding up the axe was just hilarious all the time in the back i mean that was such a funny scene it just just kind of looked like jeremy corbyn holding an axe over his head <laughs> 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 I was thought, is he been watching The Last Leg? Um, but um, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was hilarious in its own right. Can I just say as well, what was nice as well in a way was how the, the, the fights actually went. Um, I mean, uh, King, spoilers, if you want to just mute everything for a minute. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's going to mind too yeah, much. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mute it, so I have no idea. Just, like, wave your hands. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do the Team America secret up. signal. Yeah. Um, but I think what was nice about the show was how it went last night was um, the fact that we did have, I mean, let's be honest here, we had Razor, who was probably the most famous Razor. robot from the original series. It was him, Chaos 2, and Hypnodisc. Those three robots were arguably the icons. The, arguably, the great, arguably the greatest fighting robot ever in Razor. Exactly, yeah. You know, a two-time world champion, a one-time UK champion, and as soon as people heard he was coming, uh, that robot was coming back, it was like, okay, this shit's real. Like, this is legit. And you also had Terahertz and Bayamoth in last night's episode, two stalwarts of the old series. And in mm -hmm. a way, I mean, let's be honest, it was really quite disappointing and a bit of a shock. Yes. First match of the series, Razor it's goes like out. Ian Lewis went back to 2002 Ian Lewis and that was hardly a good thing. Um, yeah, basically it recalled, the, it recalled the moment that they trashed Agrobot 3 in Series 3, then went to celebrate and got themselves stuck on an arena spike and eliminated themselves in Round 2. I mean, this was another period. Like, Razor don't do middle ground. They either go all the way and win a championship or fuck themselves out in Round 1. And they did the vice. And do you know what was great about this? Old Robot War fans will get this. Killy Cranky, the robot that dragged them into the pit with them, was from Team Cold Fusion, the same team that designed Pussycat, which was Amazing. their nemesis. Exactly, the, the one team that Razor never beat in the and old they Robot Wars. Has each other. revenge each other. again. It's it's like Kevin yeah. Owens and Sami Zayn. They're destined yeah, to do it forever. 
Yeah, I don't want to give away too much in the episode, but I did like the fact we got more bang for your buck in terms of action over the course of an hour. Yeah, the format and was I changed. Agree that the, and I agree that the editing was a little bit, um, you know, a little bit sketchy, especially for the four ways. I think the camera wasn't quite there, but again, the one-on-ones were fine. I liked the, the faster pit release. I didn't quite like the flipper so much, but it was well shot. I, I think for the most part, I liked the overall direction of the series. And great kind of HD camera view, wasn't it? My God. Yeah. yeah, and that's yeah, the that's the point I was gonna that, that's the point I was gonna make about uh, robots. Oh, sorry, you know, in a, well, in a way, it was kind of sim, uh, like symbolic that Carbide mm -hmm. was the robot standing strong at the end of the episode. Like for all the talk about Razor, Terahertz, Behemoth, blah 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 blah, it's great that we had two robot. new robots that made an impression because Nuts were a proper callback to the. The sort of robots that made old robot was great because I think BattleBots. I've enjoyed BattleBots, but it's always been more. It's kind of been like robotic UFC. It's very hard in combat. It yes. is about the combat. But Robot Wars has always been mm -hmm. about the entertainment, the silliness, the, the other stuff going on. So in the old series, you had teams like Diotior who were literally only there to get set on fire um, and once beat Tornado out of nowhere. Um, or you had teams like yeah. Stinger, which was just a pair of wheels and a big stick that sort of went flailing around the arena. It was an utterly crazy robot. Nuts yeah. kind of recalled that era. They had the silly costumes silly robot with the, the little mini bots that came flying out and then got flipped across the arena by Behemoth to cause Jonathan Pierce to go into hysterics. Yep. They were great. They had a great spirit. They were plucky underdogs. And then we also had Carbide who were legitimately fantastic robot in their own right. They were drawing comparisons to Hypnodisc and their prime yep. and that's sensational. And I think it's appropriate that at the end of the first episode for all the talk of the legends, I mean, it would have been great to see Razor cleave through like the old days. It would have been great. We'd have all had nostalgia stiffies all over the place. But yeah, I like the fact that we've already got a new star for the new era like every series of the old series had its stars you know hypnodisc chaos 2 razor tornado firestorm mm -hmm. dan tomkia who's come back for this series s3 you know that they all and already the new series has a star in carbide everyone's talking about it so i think that's a good start absolutely yeah no, no yeah no more i'm not gonna give any any more spoilers away but but, but uh, yeah that was uh yeah, overall, I think a great reboot. Definitely be watching the rest of the series. A lot to enjoy. But um, yeah, just before we reveal, um, yeah, you know, um, just before we do the end of the show, um, let's talk about the fact this is 50 episodes in. Um, but uh, yeah, um, as, I was, as I was saying, like, I just have to tweet smooth just to say, oh, don't worry, spoilers are finished now. Apologies, we didn't give any warnings for that, actually. That's actually kind of our bad on that one. We were a little bit too excited. Um, apologies for that. But um, gosh, uh, fellas, we've done we've done 50 of these now. <laughs> and um, I have to say, like, King, uh, we, we've done, I think, 45 of these together at this point. And um, yeah. it's, it's, been, it's been a pretty crazy ride over the last, what, nearly two years now. I think we, uh, the very first episode we did, I think, was just after the, the very first Russian Grand Prix. In, in Sochi, we had it was me, you, and I think it was Kraken, and um, <laughs> it was the start of a beautiful relationship. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be that funny. <laughs> is that is that a, I just got to say, is that a tear in your eye, Dre? Says Josh, like, no, not yet. You're cutting onions. Um, <laughs> But I, I feel I, like I, I should leave you two to it. Like I almost feel like I'm third wheeling on a wedding anniversary. You are third wheeling here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll go no, over I'm here for a minute. I'll let you guys have your moment. No, to be fair, it's like Johnson joined. Like I think it was episode 26. So like he's been around for half of our shows now already, which is just 
kind of crazy because like that's when the reboot started in January. So uh, the podcast, as you guys may know it now, has only been a thing since January. I'm just trying to mm. go back on my list here and see when when was Wonder Johnson joined the reboot of Wagons. It was episode 26. So literally yeah. the second half of our block of 50 was when Johnson joined the team full time. Um, this show was only ever meant to be a 10 episode and a 10 episode. Um, you know, original project. It was, a, it was a university project. Instead of doing a 10,000 word uni dissertation, I chose to do this podcast instead. And um, it turned out to be the, the greatest decision I've ever made in terms of me being on the internet. And it's now grown into this baby of, of, of mine that we're now committing to long term. And um, it's it's carried a lot of crazy moments. I've had a lot of, obviously, I've had a, a ridiculous amount of fun doing this show. And um, I never would have thought it had gotten to a point where I'm bringing on guests till I've got me. I know, I, I know our own YouTube channel revolving around it. You know, actually people backing us on Patreon and whatnot. And it, it's 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 been it's been a, a, a crazy crazy ride. And um, again, thanks to I just want to say before we wrap up the show, when we come up with the results and I end up coming down. You know, just um, <laughs> finding out I probably haven't won this draft, even though I probably had the best team. But um, I just, I just would, I just would, I just would just like to take the time to say, from the bottom of my heart, thank you to everybody that has supported us over the last fifty episodes. And it's it's been such an incredible journey to even got onto this point. I never would have thought at the end of episode ten on our original run that I thought, oh, I'll be doing this a year and a half later with 50, <laughs> with 50 episodes under our belt, our own YouTube channel for the podcast, two full-time guys but you know, busting their asses for us as well, um, and, and to the point where I've had like a team of legitimately five people that are willing to, you know, because there's a lot people may not know goes on behind the scenes to make this happen we, we're often at each other's throats <laughs> on a weekly basis yeah any Johnson. bickering you see live on the air that's not kayfabe that's no, that's just genuine <laughs> when he threatens to come round and stab me that's that's absolutely true it is legitimate like death threats that often go on <laughs> between all of us and um and um you know it's 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 only because we are so passionate about this. We love motorsport. We love being able to entertain people, and that's always been my number one aim from from doing this back in like from making videos back in 2011. And you know, there's been many tears shed, many emotional moments, many times where I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, is it really worth me even doing this? Like, I'm trying to just pack this all in. But um, so I, I just want to quickly say some of my favorite moments real quick obviously bringing in Johnson was great talking about women's soccer with King was great um, Sage Karam is my homeboy is still one of the most legendary oh my I remember being on Twitter when all of that went down and I remember it was hilarious then I saw the title of the next episode I was like oh yes Dre yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that was a thing I, I, we had to do it um um some like some of you fans have had a massive influences on the show um like guys like like george mullen i want to give a shout out to who inspired the deflate gate to illegally blonde um <laughs> episode title and things like that and you know can i like, pitch one of my favorite moments or two oh, of my favorite moments during the show uh well the first one is is uh we shall call it the meeting um i i, I don't know if i've told much of the story to this on the show before let me set the scene it is a dark well it's a very dark day in January because it's January in London. So, of course, it is. Uh, it's very cold. Well, was it January or was it February? I'm trying to remember here. 
It may even have been February. It was January. It was January, yes. Um, and we'd had a chat about various things. I think we both, because uh, you're you're 24 as well, aren't you, Joe? 24 in three weeks' time. 24 in three weeks, uh, pretty much, yeah. So we're both at that point of finishing university and going straight into a massive quarter-life crisis. Um, and we've both been kind of scrabbling around for stuff to do with our lives. Um, and... Uh, basically i remember talking to because this was i remember what happened was uh you'd made a video uh just using some stock f on 2015 footage talking about how difficult it was being a youtuber and you were asking big questions about what to do with harrison 101 and everything and i thought we need to have a chat we need to have a chat son so i came all the way over to your house in west london which was all the way from south london so i crossed the i crossed the rubicon (laughs) (laughs) across the rubicon i know (laughs) Cross, one side of London to the other is an epic kind of crossing of the Rubicon. but And we had this big meeting all day. And I remember um, you were very emotional about potentially stopping doing stuff on Harrison 101, but you weren't feeling anymore. And I was, and I could tell, you know, gameplay stuff wasn't doing it for you anymore. And I, I said, well, why don't we do, why don't we do the podcast? You wanted, you were like, that's the one thing I'm certain I really want to do. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, let's do it then. Let's make a proper plan and let's make this happen. So, um, we wrote it all down and everything. <laughs> oh, I've still got the original notes somewhere. That'll be the ultimate. If someone backs us for like 500 quid, you can have the original <laughs> notes we made in that planning <laughs> we'll, meeting. We'll and we'll sign them. We'll all, we'll all sign them as well. We'll do it for 50. <laughs> like, sort of 50 quid, yeah. 50 quid. There you go. You can have it. And I, I, But I just remember finishing that. And then the next day, you did that really emotional video on Harrison 101 about the big change. And I was like, it was that moment. I was like, holy shit. This is happening. This is big. This is a big deal. Let's do this. And like all along, I've been blown away. Yeah. Yeah, let's Uh, do it. And the other, my other favorite moment um, is the day of classics. uh, When we watched (laughs) the uh, Monaco Grand Prix in the Indy 500. And in particular, and in particular, uh, the moment when Alexander Rossi actually crossed the finish line to win the Indy 500. I still have the audio recording of that segment because I sampled it for the intro of the next podcast. And just Mm -hmm. the moment where after 20 minutes previously, I think, was it Chris Cook? Yes, uh, who, had, who had tweeted Sarah Connor saying, yeah, Rossi sucks, he's not going to win. Just the moment after all the screaming had stopped, we were all going, we were all losing our shit. And then there was a beautiful pause. And then in comes Ryan King with, well, you look stupid now, don't you, Cook? <laughs> it was just the greatest oh, moment. You, you, you couldn't script something like that. And I wasn't even there. And it's just a legendary clip in, in every in every. I mean, we, we need to do more of those more often, quite frankly. On oh, here, we really but, do. Um, the pre-palooza needs to happen. It, it, it's been again, like I said, King. Do you have any other favourite moments we haven't mentioned yet? Because I know you've been you've been, oh. been partners in this for a long, long time. Um, oh, fa- favourite moments are probably the moments that haven't made air. And I know, I know, <laughs> one's the story you wanted to talk about <laughs> about the reason why the original three is no longer um, an original <laughs> original three. Well, it's episode 50. Is it yeah. time? <laughs> I don't even know this story. I'll, I'll, I'll explain the, the full story here. Like, like uh, guys, gonna... let me make this clear. I don't even know this story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is our 50th episode, but technically this is the 51st recording. And the reason why that is is because it, w- it was me, King, and Kraken back in the days as our regular you know, panel of three, but there was a recording. It, I believe it was just... Um, after the last year's Canadian Grand Prix, um, where Nikki Lauda was talking a lot about 
old Formula One cars and how Formula One cars should be like the days of old, you know, big fat chunky tyres, you know, low down force, all that usual narrative bollocks that, you know, you get about <laughs> old F1 and whatnot. And yeah. then Crecken came out with a with a line to describe Nicky Lauda, and the line was, and I quote, I just think Nicky Lauda has dementia. And I'm just like <laughs> <sighs> And I'm like, fucking, you can't say that. And it, it it wasn't ideal. And basically, like, we finished the episode, and I just wasn't comfortable with uploading it at that 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 point in time. I told Crack and you know, just because of that line, or was there more stuff? No, it was just that line, basically. And in hindsight, I kind of regret it. Um, because thinking about it now, the internet. The path really of history could have been so different. <laughs> wait, wait, but, but wasn't it because it, it was before episode ten, right? So it was still a university project, right? No, it was after that. It was after that. Oh. It, was, it was episode nineteen twenty, I think, at the time, roughly. Um, but it was after the project. No, 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 no. That, that wasn't the thing. I'd already gotten my score, and that was all great and whatnot. But um, <laughs> it, that was a that was that was a line that that, that he said. But um, honestly, at the time. I felt like it, it. It was, you know, and I just didn't. I was, was, I just wasn't comfortable with putting that out there. Now I probably would have let that one slide because the internet doesn't get offended by fucking anything these days. <laughs> and, and you know, probably people probably would have laughed at that more than anything else. And you it's know, a bit like when I you mean, briefly went through your PG thirteen phase. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted what all of two episodes, which was which was hilarious. And, and <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly where that came from. It was um, obviously when. When I work for RC Racing TV, uh, that's run by Nick Damon of Radio Le Mans. And he yeah. happened to mention one day that he'd heard some episodes of Motorsport 101. And he said, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's good. It's fine. But um, Dre likes to swear, doesn't he? He really does. He just likes swearing. He, he, he must realise it's not big and it's not clever. And that might just be me saying that as an old older person. You know, and I was like, he, he said, you know, don't take any big thing about it, whatever. And I said, oh, okay, no, you know, uh, that's fine. Happened to mention oh, it to Dre. And he actually went, oh, gosh, we, we, we need to really, oh, oh goodness. We, I'll, I'll try not to swear so much on the show. How long did that last? And how much money did you raise for charity in that time in the I, swear I, box? I, it lasted three episodes and I, I, I sent a cheque of a whole £10 to Great Ormond Street Hospital um, <laughs> as, a, as a result of my own battle. It was just the moment got, after like four episodes they, I think you gone, literally just went gotten 30 quid, like, They've already gotten 30 quid out of me this year because it was Verstappen 1 in Spain They've already gotten 30 quid out of me this year uh, <laughs> There could be more coming But um, yeah, that's one of those it, um, Yeah, you know, it's like It's one of those things where he just did those kind of controversial jokes way before it was cool But that's just what Kraken does, quite frankly That's just how he is, unfortunately And He's not going to change. So. so he's kind of like the Frankie Boyle in this story. And yeah. I'm the Chris Addison. <laughs> exactly. And that's just kind of how it was. So that's the story of the lost episode, essentially. But um, just before we reveal the fantasy drop, I've got one more thing I want to say real quick as well. I just want to say, again, one more time, a massive thank you to everybody that has taken the time out to support the show. I mean, ever since we've been on SoundCloud, we've been listened to over 14,000 times. And that is just absolutely ridiculous. Big yourself up. Um you guys are the best audience a guy could ever wish to have you guys are so loyal you've been so understanding even when we've had issues even when we are, we've been busy because I mean I work 25 plus hours a week King has a part time job and he often is still you know studying as well for his, for his major in political science and Johnson is desperate for a job so he spends 17 hours a day signing up for new job applications 
Um, I so, should point yeah. out I have a lot of freelance work going as well, but yeah, generally yes. my life's a bit all over the place. Let's put it one, that way. One great big drawback, but I, but I, I just want to say a just just a. Um, um, a massive thank you to everybody who's, who's supported us over the last year and a half, like nearly two years now, actually. It'll be two years in October. So a massive thank you to everyone that supported us over the last t- 21 months on this podcast, 50 episodes, 14,000-plus plays. And that was just on the new channel now. And you guys are unbelievable. Thanks to everybody that's backed us on Patreon. You guys are absolutely superb. And thank you for believing in us so much. You feel like you actually feel like we deserve money for this like that's still kind of surreal and now we've had two fans like debbie franjdakis and scott baxter have actually bought shirts that actually are wearing our shit like that is, that is just the coolest most surreal thing i think i could ever imagine this thing was never even on the ground as of january 2nd 2016 and now people are buying merch and uh, are backing us with actual dosh and uh, you guys in the chats right now, you're actually making me really emotional reading this because you guys are just... Yeah, wonderful. me too. I just saw that. I was wonderful. like, oh, stop. Yeah, you, you guys are just wonderful, wonderful people. And, you know, thank you for believing in me and believing in the rest of us. And um, I wish... Can I, I could, just I add know. one more thing? Sorry, I, I know you. I know this is your baby and all, but what, one thing I've really enjoyed... <laughs> Um, one thing I've really enjoyed coming on board with Motorsport 101. Of course, I've I've had Team Bomber Sports since like 2009, um, so I've had seven years of that, which has been a slightly different thing. But what's been really nice on Motorsport 101 is it's almost like the alternative motorsport community. Like it's not just a podcast; it's a place like we've we've come into contact with Skellington, the you know, Mystery Science Theatre F1. We've had Cook Prod, we've had Chris, of course. We've had those guys on there, and it's almost like we've kind of changed not changed the narrative as such, but it's like you know, there's one group. I mean, if you're on YouTube, if you're on online media, there's a group of F1 YouTubers which are great. We're not saying anything bad about them. I'm a big fan of like Arav and Tim and Marduk and all those guys. Dre, you know them well. Um, but it, it's almost like there's another section it's like there's room to create your own space and that's what we've done and people are embracing it and there's a little community over here it's like sort of being at the pub every week and you just sort of sit down you're like hey you're right come and sit down i'll get you a beer yeah we'll have to chat about the race and everything and it's generally very understanding it's generally very nice i mean obviously we have our running with dickheads on twitter generally but that, that happens that's twitter for you but generally the listeners the listeners of the show um recite the in-jokes, go for the great, you know, very balanced, very good motorsport chat. It's very enjoyable chatting with all of you on Twitter. And it's really struck me since joining, I've kind of been welcome to the family. And it's a little bit surreal in that respect because I'm always a loner. I'm always doing my own thing on the internet. So now I'm in with two other guys and it's like, hey, thanks for accepting me. Well, and we're, and we're very proud to have you, Johnson. You've been such a fantastic asset to the team. And, you know, again, it's it's people say you can't work with your friends. It's a lie. You absolutely can if you could find a way to make it work. And, yeah. And without question, um, like King's been here from the very start, pretty much. And he's been he's given up so much time for, for what we wanted to do. And he's one of the best friends that I could ever wish to have. And Johnson as well, you know, he's gotten on his ass and come in, come over to see me just to, just to talk and thrash out a plan. And like, I am honored to have friends like this and I'm honored to have you guys as, as a, as a listener base because my God, like, like I've said before, the F1 community can so often be toxic and, and, and it can, it can often be such a negative place, but 
I, I like finding our own spot was like this kind of this alternative, more. I, I don't want to use the term edgy because it's been used a lot the last twenty four hours, but <laughs> like, I, I feel like we keep it more real and we're more genuine about how we feel about motorsport. And I feel like I want to, I want, I want us to be a, a fresher, more modern take on motorsport, which is the greatest yeah. old man sport in the world. So for, for, a, it for is. a bunch of free 20, 20 somethings to go out here and, you know, mention pop culture and use F1 to talk about other sports and use it as a platform to get the sport more exposure from and make it more, make it more relatable. I think more than anything else in a very confined kind of environment has always been like a real aim of mine. And um, it's been, we're doing it in our own small way. Yeah, we're doing it our own small way, and hopefully it'll be a much bigger one day. And again, just, just, just thank you all so, so much for that. I just want to say a, a, a few very special thank yous I've not mentioned yet. Massive thanks to Zara Daniela, who does all our artwork um, for every episode you may have seen on SoundCloud or any other format you've seen. Zara does all our artwork. She also works full-time. She also does a bunch of other journalism stuff on the side for places like the Great Badger Grand Prix who do, do tremendous work over there. Um, and obviously in her own remaining, she's just joined Moto Matters as well with David Emmett, which is probably the best bike site in the business. That's really cool. And, and she's, she absolutely deserves it. She's a phenomenal part of the show and one of the most underrated and most humble people you can ever wish to work with. So Zara... Zara, if you're listening, thank you so much for everything you've done for the podcast. I'm I'm so, so thankful to have you on the team and for giving up some of your time for us as well. Mick, thanks to Emily the Silver as well, who's now our new editor. You can follow her on Twitter at BestCatOC. She's now joined us, so you're going to see a lot more videos in future because of her. She's taken so much of the pressure off of me, which is just tremendous. I can go about just trying to be a hype man for this own show. That's <laughs> something as well. Um, I want to say a, a big thank you to all of our other previous co- um, guest hosts as well, and uh, people that have filled in as well. That's Sasha Wagonblast. Um, that's um, Kraken. Obviously, his contribution was still something I think was very valuable, even if it kind of fill, fell on ill will. Kraken was a was an important part of the show, and I don't I don't want to acknowledge that as well. So thanks to Gino out there. Thanks to Scott Woodwiss who's coming in, even though he pretty much hijacked my podcast when he came on because that's just what Scott does. <laughs> but um, I know Scott. Scott's been very supportive of me as well on this podcast as well. So thanks to Scott out there. Big thanks to Sarah Connors, who is just one of the most delightful people you could ever wish. One of the most passionate sports fans out there as well. It's been on our show twice before as well. Big thanks to Lewis Sudderby as well from as well. And um, this is for Connors, by the way. How <laughs> very, very on brand. Um, um, yeah, big. Thanks yes, to I Sarah have an American Connors. flag in my room. Judge the fuck yeah. out of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks. Um, um, so yeah, big thanks to Sarah as well. Big thanks to everyone that's just been guest hosts on the show at some point. Your contribution will be. You know, I want to recognise everybody that's been a part of the show for the last 50 episodes. And again, of course, one more thank you to all of you guys out here watching. You guys, you guys make this happen. And there is no show without you guys. And thank you for inviting us into your homes and you know into your into your ears into your headphones wherever you wherever you go wherever you may be you believe that we uh, you you respect our opinions and respect who we are so much that you're willing to give your time effort even money to us just just to see free 20 somethings talk about some motorsport for a, a couple of hours a week you, i mean that is an, a surreal and unbelievable feeling so on behalf of the three of us 
to all you guys out here. Thank you all so, so much for, for supporting the podcast. And here's to the next 50. We'll probably skip 100. We'll probably just go straight to 101 for, a ne- for our next special. But again, <laughs> you guys, it, it, it would... It would it's only a number anyway. Special for episode 101, of course, but that'll be most likely next mm. year. But um, massive thanks to everybody that supported us um, until then. And um, you guys are just the absolute best. So thank you. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, let's find out who won the Motorsport 101 International Fantasy Draft? I know Cook, I know Chris Cook and Matt, uh, Matt Canary, who I've not said thank you to as well for their contribution to the show as well. So thanks to Matt and Chris as well. They're actually still listening in the chat right now. So thanks to those guys as well. King, the floor is yours. Oh dear. Uh, we're going we're to go bottom to top here. Yeah. And we, 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 th- we just thank Cook, but. Last place with a lowly six points, Chris Cook. <laughs> Team absolutely fucked. Oh, Was absolutely fucked. Team absolutely fucked. Living up to its name there with Chris Cook. Okay, just to, just to break down where he got the points from. Yep. He got a straight dead last from everyone on the panel, and but he finished second place in the public vote, so that's how he got the two points <laughs> wow. to get six and not five. Wow. The public he, he finished second to last. <laughs> he finished second to last, so he got two points instead of one. <laughs> Wow, so the public backed him. Wow, that's actually interesting. Clearly, they loved the Bottas pick so much, they thought, we feel this sorry for you. I mean, Dre, Dre, let's be real here. The public also voted for Brexit. You can't trust them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also a very fair point. Right, so Chris, fifth. I, honestly, my aim was just not to finish in last, so at this point, anything else is considered a bonus. But I'm also okay, well, fourth. in fourth place... Dre. <laughs> no, no, in fourth place, it's me, the only person to receive zero votes, zero first place votes in the public vote. Oh, so wow. I first got five first place votes. Ow. <laughs> Xenophobia towards the French there. Wow, I mean, one, you guys must clearly hate the French. Two, <laughs> like, I, I applaud you, King, for sticking to a theme pretty much all the way through. Yeah. I applaud your cojones for even trying something <laughs> like that. It's a shame that, you know, you weren't rewarded more so. Um, yes, yes, I finished that. dead last in the public vote. <laughs> Uh, the Mullen just put in the chat, you try too hard, King. <laughs> and also, Smooth just says, King, now you know how Rosberg feels. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> oh, damn. So, I think I got a second place vote from, from someone on the panel. I don't remember who, but I got a second place vote. Everyone just straight up... Wait, no. Yeah, I got a second place vote. And then straight up, everyone voted me third. Just third. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think I think I'm pretty sure I did. So yeah, I thought I can't put him last. That's just unfair. Um, so yeah, King, bad luck, fourth place, mate. So who, who gets the bronze medal? Yeah, so yeah, I get ten points. Uh, uh, third place, Adam. Yes, Adam I knew it would be third. Team yes. for 13 points. Team Bomber Sports. We didn't quite save the internet. We didn't quite save motorsport, but we made it there. In- and he was also, you know, third in the public vote, so there's that. Okay. Team so strange, obviously, you guys didn't love the thought of Hamilton and Rahal bickering on Twitter for the next year. 
No, no, Adam actually got the same amount of first place votes as Chris did. Five first place votes. Wow. <laughs> uh, what, in the public like, vote? What, yeah, what, in the public what, vote. Uh, you know what I love about the irony about this the most is that team social media <laughs> failed in social media. <laughs> team social media failed God damn it. in social media. <laughs> My hype got, Hamilton didn't tweet me once. I'm sorry, I, I spent all week tweeting him like, come on, so, come on, Ham, help me out with the draft. So, bad luck, Johnson. I, 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 I do applaud Javan Gisbert because that's the most predictable Johnson pick I could have ever imagined. People, but, everyone uh, was yeah, predicting so, that I'd pick Larson. Actually, yes, so, no, somebody actually predicted that you would draft someone from V8 Supercars. It was probably Marcus Hoare, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, he, he, I think he called likely. that I'd either pick Larson or someone from V8. I think he called I might pick Mag Scott McLaughlin. I was like, that was my other one. <laughs> yeah, he says, Adam, I like the mall said so, Adam yeah. should have won Johnson he had the best third, driver because he had Hamilton points. Second. <laughs> So let, let me get this straight. This is between me and Matt. Uh, yeah, it's between I, I, you and Matt. I, I, honestly, I had a feeling it would come down between me and Matt. <laughs> but, um, well, this so, is intense. King, fire away whenever you're ready. Okay. Oh. Runner-up overall and also the winner of the public vote, Andre Harrison. No! No! <laughs> <laughs> Dre by far had the most first place votes in the public in the public vote than anyone else by a huge margin. He had 27 first place votes. Wow. Um, Matt, Matt, who, Matt, who, you know, won the whole thing, only had seven first place votes. <laughs> Incredible. Well, public, public vote, I mean, you did your bit. I'll give you that much, but... Um, Chris Cook I've is going mental in the chat right the now. The panel has shafted me. <laughs> yeah, so, so breaking it down, Dre won the public vote, and his five points from that were not able to put him over Matt because Matt finished second in the public vote. So uh, Dre ended up getting 17 points, and Matt ended up getting 19 points to put him oh. over Dre. It was very close. It was Do you know what? I think that to the public vote. I think that last round pick for Pipo Durrani might have got him it. Everyone you know, tweet Pipo Durrani right now saying actually, you won the draft for um, for Matt. You know, you know what? Actually, it is? You know what? I you feel this is. I could have been very bitter and, and tactically voted, but I was very honest and I put Matt as my number one pick. No, no. One one person voted tactically and screwed you over. Was Who it Chris? Was it? Yes, it was, it, it was Chris. It was Chris. <laughs> Chris voted Dre dead last. <laughs> Chris voted Dre dead last and um, Matt first. <laughs> Chris, you've been exposed. Been, it it would have been a tie. Cook. It would have been a tie, but Matt had the tiebreaker, so. Cook, sleep with one eye open tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You son of a bitch. <laughs> Can I just say, it definitely wasn't me, because I think, Dre, I actually voted you top in my vote, I think. I, I, I gave uh, my... I voted Dre... Go on, go on, King. Yeah, I voted Dre second. I voted Matt first. I, I gave Matt I gave Matt my first overall selection. I was honest. Yeah. I, I, put, I put Matt number one, and I think I put Johnson two, and then King three <laughs> with Cook four, so... I was honest. I I I I I, I could have tactically voted, but I didn't, and Cook screwed me. <laughs> Someone's just posted. Oh, oh, Rhino GT4 just posted Cook and Dre for SummerSlam. It would have been closer between me and and Chris at the bottom if 
Chris didn't vote tactically. <laughs> <laughs> like, he could have saved himself from finishing in last by being honest. So in this case, quite literally, Chris didn't screw Dre. Chris screwed Chris. Yeah, because Matt would have won regardless. It just would have been closer. It would have been a tie instead of... <laughs> it would oh. have been a tie instead of it being a larger gap. But Matt had the tiebreaker anyway. We're not bringing Cook back on the podcast now. No, 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 he's he's bald. (laughs) He he ain't coming back, fam. Can I just say, (laughs) someone just mentioned, uh, Evan Byrne just said, Dre, this is your podcast. Why don't you give Chris Cook the last place forfeit? Which was? Mm. Uh, of your choice? Yeah, what, what's the penalty for Chris coming in last? Uh, there's got to be some fan fiction of him and Skelling it, Tour out there. His, his penalty is that he has to plug the podcast on an episode of his show. On every episode? <laughs> no, not not every, just the, the next episode on YouTube that is that is YouTube-friendly, he has to plug the podcast actively. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, like I, that. I just pulled up Chris's ballot. His ballot, first place, Matt. Second place, me. Third place, Johnson. Piss Last off. place, Dre. That is a travesty. Piss off. <laughs> Absolute helmet. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, no, no. Dre, I'm giving him an additional forfeit. People listening right now, people watching, I, it is your mission to go and find Skellington and Cook Prod 1 fan fiction. It has to exist. <laughs> Cook must now make a video of him reading said fan fiction. King is dead to me. Like I said, King, he's dead to me right oh now. Oh my like, god, he's, he's so dead. But on a, on a serious note, we are so glad you guys enjoyed the podcast. We're still going to put rounds one and two out on YouTube. So, and I might even yeah. do a video blog down the road talking about some of the logic I use behind some of my picks. But um, we're like, we're so glad this turned out great. Um, without question, we are doing more of these. And oh yeah, Lewis has or Lewis Sutterby from Bike Live has already got in touch saying he more than once in on a bike draft. We have like oh. the, the tentative aim is if we, if we get the three of us plus Lewis and Bex from Bike Live, we could pull off something like that for an all biking edition as as, oh. a, as, a, as, a, as a, that as the five teams. See, the problem is I definitely finished last in that one. <laughs> <laughs> and with my first pick, Johnson takes Chaz Davies. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, no, my like, first pick, Jenny Timmuth. On on a serious note, massive thanks to everybody that listened. Massive thanks to Matt and Chris. Who, 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 who got involved and um, it was it was absolutely fantastic um, and we had great great fun doing it even if I got screwed congratulations to Matt for winning the first international fantasy draft you gammy bastard um, <laughs> but that just about we've been on the air for like nearly two and a quarter hours now my god yeah, this um, is for Matt right now this, this is, is for Matt yeah, <laughs> This is officially the longest ever episode of the podcast, but I don't care because it's been glorious. But um, again, one more time, thanks to everybody that's tuned in tonight. Thank you for supporting us once again. Here's to the next 50. So on, I will raise my empty pint glass. Thank you to Ryan and Adam for making the podcast what it is. Um, couldn't have worked with a, better pedag- with a better pair of guys. And again, thank you all so much for making the podcast what it is now. And... Again, without you, there is no show, and you guys are incredible. So, on behalf of me, Andre Harrison, for him, Adam Johnson, and Ryan Eric King, thank you to everybody for 50 episodes. Here's to the next 50. Or 51, depends how you want to look at it, I suppose. (laughs) Until next time, 
Thanks for watching. Sayonara. damn time <laughs> every time i have to edit out that boy at the end of every episode really you edit it out i never noticed <laughs> yeah he does he actually does <laughs> you're lucky i just didn't mention the ultimate outtake i edited out and again i, I, mean, I kept rebecca james hanging on this one as well and i think she's long overdue as well um oh, I, th I thought this week was beck's week but you disappointed me uh, she's, she, was, she was in Barcelona, my man. She was in Barcelona checking out the fucking new camp, the lucky bitch. Oh, <laughs> Boom! I would like to point out I'm still recording at this point. <laughs> think, going in I, the bloopers. I only just realised <laughs> realize that. That's, oh, shit. Stop that, recording, that's... Johnson. We're, I'm we're... stopping recording now. Fact. We're...